No, not a quick weekly. Sue, quick question. Yes. Have you been listening to the audio files for Psychic Serpent at all? Oh, no. God. No. Someone's got to listen to them. They're funny. I, I, um, weird. Because we're, because we're talking about Psychic Serpent, I am reading. Ryan, this is a shout out to you. I am reading Psychic Serpent <laughs> because we are doing, the peons are going to be, um, covering the first, um, seven chapters of the second book of the Psychic Serpent trilogy. And Ryan has been harassing me over the last two weeks to read the first book in the Psychic Serpent. And I am up to chapter 15 or 16 now. And I'm still being freaked out by the Harry Hermione snogging scenes. But, well, I'm going to get past those, I hope. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. I'm following right behind you. Oh, God. I was I listening to it too today and I was at a craft store. And I'm just like, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> Yeah. I'm only on chapter nine. I'm past them already. I'm on twenty-seven or something like that. We thought, and we thought Half Blood Prince was hormone laced. Holy crap! Oh my! Don't kidding. It's like seriously. It's like <laughs> it's like yeah, Harry Potter stunt muffin. <laughs> all I could think today was our conversation from last night when you're like Harry's hot with H A W T, and I'm just like, why is everyone hitting on him? Like, is he wearing like the Black Panther cologne or something from like Anchorman? Or it's, it's, like, well, we don't understand. Actually, he is. <laughs> <laughs> we okay. The- we will find this out later. Okay. Stay tuned. Same bat time. Same bat channel. But, like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Save it for the podcast. Oh, wow. That was a Ryan flashback moment. I'm sorry. Oh, well. There ever be again a podcast quite like this? One that brought us together and started its own forum list. Where the hosts are all our friends, all the stories told by Jen. Will it drive Ryan round the bend? Part of it weekly, where the story never ends. Welcome back to Potterfic Weekly. I'm Kayla. I'm Scott. I'm Sue. And this is Death Roll. And this week we're going to be covering Psychic Serpent. No, no, no. In fact, what? we are going to be covering the second book in the Psychic Serpent series, which is called Time of Good Intentions. What are you guys talking about? I thought we were doing BS. <laughs> it is also called The Last Temptation of Harry Potter. Oh, that's true. So, yeah, it's no true. Psychic Serpent? <laughs> it's the Psychic Serpent trilogy, but not the Psychic Serpent story, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense whatsoever. The rest of 
the podcast people have already covered that one. Oh. That was what they did the last two three. or three podcasts. Oh, may have a problem. <laughs> oh no! Someone didn't check the schedule. Oops! Someone didn't do their homework. Someone procrastinated on their homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does have an excuse. So yeah, yeah, and then real life got in the way for the last three, four weeks, whatever it's been. <laughs> real life. So yeah, because I signed up to be an au pair somewhere overseas in Europe, and ever since I did that, it seems I've just been doing nothing but figuring that all out. So I'm moving to Germany, so. Yeah, I guess I can't stay then, eh? <laughs> Is there anything that you wanted to say about Psychic Serpents? I enjoyed the audio files. <laughs> I just couldn't get past the audio files because, well, me and Kelly have talked about it before, but Carrie I found to be a little unrealistic, a little full of himself, a little too suave, and Hermione a little too horny. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, there are a few explanations for that, but yeah. So even if we were covering Psychic Serpent, you still wouldn't be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hermione is deliberately written to be out of character. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's under the influence. There's a plot reason for it. Yeah. Can we spoil Kayla? Because this is when we're supposed to be talking about the fic. Go. Well, uh, ask Kayla. Well, I don't know if I want to be spoiled. I, I kind of want to try to read it. <laughs> okay. Well, you will figure it out within a few chapters of where mm-hmm. you are, I think. Where are you, Kayla? Okay. Because the audio went up to 18, I think. No, it went up to 16. That's where I must say, but moron since I've... Okay, yeah, maybe it's 16 then. I just remember... What I remember last, I think, is them opening a bunch of doors and everyone making out and stuff, I think. Ah, uh, the Christmas yeah. party. Ah, the scene where Fred watches... Uh, sorry, where Harry watches George receive oral sex. <gasps> yes. <laughs> Oh, I don't remember that part. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's it's so memorable. Wow, that's the scene. Like I don't know you. how you could nod off during it because it's so memorable that Harry thinks of it later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> there, there's a whole lot of stuff in this story that makes you just go WTF, man. Yeah, I was thinking that the whole time. I think I had an eye roll every two seconds so yeah the first story of the three is pretty outrageous in a lot of respects it's a lot of rough pushing of the characters it's like you you take your finger and you put them on a character's head and you guide him in or her in the direction you want that character to go and ron is dating cho chang yes wow suddenly we've jumped into discussion of the chapters (laughs) for tonight (laughs) well there you go wow the window and I just I don't know turn ahead and I just all right uh, all right in order to stop spoiling Kayla we need to boot her out right now goodbye Kayla bye. Bye. have fun in Germany talk to you we'll later you. I would say goodbye in Germany if I knew how I don't. that's what I mean. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a fun night. I have a good feeling about this. We're going to knock it out of the park. Usually when, when Ryan says that, it means somebody's singing, but we're <laughs> going to try to do it yeah. without the singing tonight. Yeah, well, never know. I like the way that this opens. Mm-hmm. It's not quite the usual opening, but Harry's sneaking out of the house, and apparently his uncle snores so badly it sounds like fireworks going off in the next room. <laughs> yeah, the... 
the sheer outrageousness of the hyperbole is, is tremendously entertaining. I love the fact that Petunia has gotten a dog, and I love the fact that the dog is evil, it's an and evil the dog, dog hates Harry, and he suspects that she encourages Dunkirk to tear up photographs of Harry and rewards him with treats when he does it. Um, it it's just so completely over the top. I, I laugh whenever I read it. I had a relative who used to do that. Actually, it wasn't her dog. I don't know if she's my great aunt or something like that. I just know this story secondhand, but my mom and her sisters were over in Scotland, and they discovered that this aunt of theirs, or cousin, or something of the sort, would... Uh, their neighbor had a dog that kept coming over because her aunt would play with it, and she would encourage this dog to bark at the Earl because she didn't like the Earl. So whenever the Earl came by, she would get the dog to bark at him. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really awesome. The reason we were originally talking about dogs is Harry is sneaking out of the house to go running because he's gotten the habit of running every morning, and Dunkirk decides to come and gnaw off his ankle, and he has to try and get him to quit. Eventually, turns into what looks to the dog like a giant lion, and chases him into the living room and locks him in, so he can finally go and go running, and now his sock is full of dog slumber. <laughs> and once Dunkirk sees that Harry is back, he instantly flips a switch and he's... Yeah. And he has to lock him in the living in the sitting room, and he's scrabbling and clawing at the door. And later on, there's an issue when Uncle Vernon is pissed about the damage to the door. Oh yeah, another thing Harry's gonna have to fix. Uh huh. Well, I know I, as much as we don't like Vernon and the Dursleys in general, uh, it's perfectly reasonable that he would be pissed about that mm-hmm. because my dad was pissed when it happened with our dog, <laughs> both with all of the dogs, because it happens with every single dog. Oh yeah. There's always something that they destroy, and we love them, but dogs do this sort of stuff. So I, I don't mm-hmm. think Vernon is too unreasonable here, even though Harry no. is just sort of rolling his eyes. Because, of course, Petunia is um, complaining about the trauma he's given her poor, frail Dunkirk by locking him into the sitting room. He was scared! That's why he was trying to claw his way out. It's like, give me a break, lady. <laughs> yeah. Give me a mm-hmm. break, but, you know, as much as I don't like the character, I think the writing is, is fantastic, of the of the Dursleys in particular. I mean, they're just so outrageous. I, I love the um, the back-and-forthness of this. He could have been hurt, poor baby. Your aunt's in hysterics, crying and crying. Peed on my favorite chair. Just a sweet little baby. Door needs painting now. Scratches all over. Yeah, the priorities are, are very amusing. Yeah, and Harry's like, but he attacked me. And they're like, oh, he would never do a thing like that. He, he would never. Never do that. He does it every morning at breakfast. But they do get slightly distracted because Harry begins having a fit. Well, that would mm-hmm. distract anybody. Because he's having a vision of Voldemort. And <clears throat> yeah, it's really hard to berate someone when they fall to the ground and start twitching and foaming at the mouth. It just it just doesn't, yeah, you know. Yeah, gotta wait till they get done. Doesn't work yeah. very well. And he knows who this person is. And he's seeing the vision of... Voldemort and his hair. Voldemort and his hair? Hair. When did Voldemort get hair? Did he join... Did did Voldemort join Hair Club for Men? He did, didn't you know? (laughs) Sweet. He should. He totally needs to lose... He needs to Mm -hmm. lose the creepy Serpent Man look that he has. He'll be a lot more effective on the recruiting posters. New spokesperson. Yes, that one, you know, where he's pointing and he says, you have one hour. (laughs) I love the one hour quote. I love it, love it, love it. That would be a fun commercial though you have one hour to buy our product (laughs) (laughs) 
limited time offer. You have Call one hour. In the next one hour. Look what it did for me. You'd also have to, you know, go to a tanning salon and get contacts and things. But I don't know if it would really work for him. No, probably not. But you know, because it's still the whole nose thing. And, you know. uh, would Voldemort use a spray on tan? Yeah. Bright orange Voldemort with sunglasses that he has to tie on the back of his head. And... <laughs> Somehow I don't see him doing that, really, but the parody version of him, it would work. I, I, yeah, I love parody Voldemort. He's hilarious. <laughs> the, the one where the one where he takes a cue from Lucius and starts carrying a snake cane around and calling it precious. Oh, that's just wrong. Wrong, I tell you, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> or when he's jumping up and down, screaming, Kill them! Kill, Kill them! them! Mm-hmm. His Death Eater meetings alternate between choosing better Death Eater robes and cruciating everyone inside. Mm, poor Voldemort. Love it. Well, Voldemort has a much better plan here, I must say. He's giving Harry exactly what he wants, and I think that is just a brilliant, brilliant strategy. Mm-hmm. Forget trying to destroy Harry, or even trying to recruit him, which failed, as you will mm-hmm. remember, in the year five, the previous story of Psychic Serpent. Um, instead, he's trying to just completely take Harry out of the equation, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating, right. because is if you really it almost mm-hmm. works it does well it does yeah. work mm-hmm. if you if you prevent the death of lily potter and you you therefore prevent the fall of voldemort he has 11 more years to well, 14 more years to build power mm-hmm. to continue building his already formidable power base mm-hmm. because things were from all we're led to believe in canon things were pretty bad at the point when voldemort mm-hmm. fell yeah so he's had all this extra time and he never had the weakness that he had to come back from after when he tried to kill Harry. Exactly. He just kept it up. And, you know, it's not just him. Lucius Malfoy has been a Death Eater these 14 years. He has a lot of influence and power in the ministry and in society at large. Because um, mm-hmm. he never had the whole thing of claiming Imperius and all of that. So. Yeah, he, he just kept on and he's a respected member of society because nobody has the proof to do anything about it. And I'm I find it fascinating that there isn't all that much difference. Voldemort hasn't, like, in a lot of stories where Voldemort wins or continues taking over, everything is has gone downhill and, like, the Death Eaters are openly running everything and they're shooting unforgivables at people in the streets or whatever else they might do. And in this one, almost everybody that he meets actually has a better life than in his own timeline. And yet, somehow it's just not quite right. I get what you mean. I think what you're saying is it doesn't feel like there's a war on. Mm-hmm. And, and he's not as blatant about it. It's it's kind of like... This is Voldemort when he still has his subtlety. Yes. Yeah, well, it's a marked contrast from the previous story where he was sending black envelopes delivered by ravens to students in the Great Hall at dinner time. Yeah. You can't get much more blatant than that. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, you might as well take out an ad in the society pages or something, you know? Well, that, that'd be a good ad. I was going to say, that'd be a fun ad. <laughs> Do you like killing and torturing? Wanted. <laughs> Do you like being tortured yourself if you screw up? Well, then, have I got the career for you? Well, that's how Bellatrix signed up. But, uh, 
Um, I, I can't resist Bellatrix and Cruciatus jokes. I just can't. It's part of my makeup. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it doesn't really feel like Voldemort is the same character here because he, in this alternate universe here, he is very subtle. He he is not open about no. controlling everything. It, it's it doesn't feel like fourteen years. He's obviously working behind the scenes. Oh yeah, but he's doing it very subtly. And like Scott said, the Death Eaters aren't in the streets blowing people up right and left. They're working very quietly behind the scenes, making changes in laws, making changes in the way things are run so that when the time is right, everything's going to be set up for him. But he's he is doing it really slowly and methodically. One thing I'm actually curious about is, well, I, I, first of all, I love the history that Barb gives this alternate universe, the way that everything has a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really want to know is where was this universe going? I really want to know where this one was going. Uh, I am like PS I am an absolute sucker for alternate universe alternate reality butterfly effect sorts of stories I mean hell I'm writing one we have skipped forward a little bit here. Uh, it's true, but I like some of the things in the first chapter also, because he's... The Dursleys are going away, they're going on holiday, and he is once again stuck with Mrs. Fig, who, f- through most of these chapters, acts exactly like the Dursleys would expect her to act. She's um, completely strict and wants, seems to want inexplicable things from Harry, and um, apparently can't cook. No, it's nasty. But at least he's managed to get his old summer job back. Yeah. He's working with the landscapers from the first book, uh, though he hasn't met up with Dick again, who was his foreman before, because he's working on another job. He's working with Sam. And Nigel is there, too. Does Sandy leave him at the beginning of this or at the end of the first? It was at the end of the first. Okay, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I I had snarky notes that Sandy and Harry broke up. Aww. Aww. So, okay, tell us about Nigel's five-syllable word. Nigel uses a five... He's presented as just this working class Joe, not at all what we think of as intelligent. You know, he's smart in his own way. He knows how to do his job, but he, he you know, he's a physical laborer. He's a landscaper and he uses a five syllable word vicariously. And they try to give him crap about it. And he's like, I just used it perfectly correctly. Piss off. <laughs> well, you know, he's, he's got one of those word of the day calendars <laughs> and he tries to stick it in, you know, whichever word is up for the day. He, he tries to slip it into conversation. That's, Word of the day. I love it. Crab he's and, just trying to build mm. himself up a little bit at a time. Crab and Goyle need a Word of the Day calendar. They do. We're going to send them one for Christmas. Awesome. Um, I, I think it's really funny Harry is working with the lads again and he's one of the lads and she, the uh, Mrs. Galebraith or whatever her name is, she leaves a stout in the fridge for Harry because she thinks he's 18. And Harry is so moral, such a sterling white knight that he refuses so much as a single sip of the stout. He's doing a man's work, and I think he should have a man's refreshment. I'm having a stout right now, in fact. I'm having, well, not a, not a, a stout per se, but uh, I'm having a Sam Adams Oktoberfest. I'm actually on my second one. So when he, you know, falls asleep a little bit later, we'll all know why. But yes, he's he's working with the lads, and he's getting teased about having his girl and... His bird. <laughs> and he almost starts talking about Hedwig. <laughs> well, yes, I have a bird who's called Hedwig. I do have a snowy owl, as a matter of fact. So. 
anybody ship Harry Hedwig? And unbeknownst to Harry, uh, Mrs. Fig has a secret. And he's starting to suspect a few things because he's bored of watching TV with her because all she's doing is shouting at the TV and calling people idiots. I think that's funny. She's behaving just like the Dursleys. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I shout at the TV, so I totally understand. I do so. And she tells him he ought to, well, he says he's going upstairs to read, and she says, why can't we read downstairs? And he tries to pick up something from her shelves because she seems to have a lot of books around, and every single book in the place has never been cut. Right. Which confused the heck out of me the first time I read this, which was back many moons ago. Uh, I still don't think I'm really clear on the concept. Somebody want to enlighten me, please? Well, when they originally make bound books, they're all the groups of pages in, I think, groups of eight are all folded sheets, so they're folded together. If you look at the spine of a book, you can see where these little separations uh-huh. are in yep, the groups. That I know. And because of the fold, um, when they're glued into the spine, these groups of pages are still folded. You can't turn all of them. So they have to cut down the edges on the non-spine side of the book so that you can get to every page. I just don't understand why those are folded. It's just the way they make them. It's the way they used to make them anyhow. So if you were an antique person and you collected fine or rare books, then you would look for books that either had had never been cut. Uncut. Aha. Or had, you know, there's, I'm sure there's different varieties of things used to cut pages. And so maybe depending on how they were cut, they would be worth more or less. I, I imagine it would fall under the classification of condition and the better the cut, the more it would be worth. And of course, uncut would be worth the most. Yeah, that's your mint condition book. But this is the confusing bit because at first he thinks, oh, she's just a poser because she's getting all these books so she looks smart and she never reads them and really she has trashy romances under her bed or something. Um, So he goes up to her... The idea of Mrs. Fig reading Harlequin romance novels is very <laughs> disturbing to me. Well, you know, some of them are good. I wonder if she has a computer and she goes on adult fan fiction. You never know. I bet she does. I don't think so somehow, though. Yeah, I doubt it. So Harry has gone to her desk to find something sharp so he can cut the pages so he can read it. And she's, you know, gotten after him and told him, What are you doing? Don't get in my desk. And he said, Well, I'm cutting the pages. And she's like, I've read these books millions of times what do you mean and he goes back to look and all the pages are cut and he's like um wtf what happened here yeah so that was kind of the start of his hmm well he wonders if he did that maybe yeah because he has no inkling at all that she would be a witch no why 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 would he suspect that it's not like dumbledore keeps an eye on him at all ever Well, you know. Turns out Arabella Fig, she's a witch and an operative and Mad-Eye Moody's sister. Half-sister. Half-sister. The crazy half. Crazy. Well, I don't know. With Mad-Eye Moody, it's hard to know which one would be more crazy. The major thing that happens in Chapter 1 is he's going out for work on Saturday and realizes he's forgot something, comes back to the house, and Mrs. Fig has already left, but the radio seems to be on. And his first thought is, oh no, someone's broken in and then he can't think why they would break in to listen to the radio. Hey, people break into houses and take showers, they take naps, they they do crazy things. <laughs> 
That's true, yeah. But he walks in and comes face to face with, oh, he's brandishing an umbrella at the time. Ryan went after the burglar with his cell phone. So Harry going after him with a, an umbrella works for me. Comes face to face with Draco Malfoy. And, and we find out that Draco is staying there too, and he knows Mrs. Fig is Nanny Bella. There's a whole big backstory of that that takes way too long to tell. But the short version is that she raised both of them as friends, but always memory charmed them so that they would never remember that they spent time together because if Lucius ever found out, there would be hell to pay. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a young boy. You're a young boy. Let's be best friends forever, (laughs) I think is how she put it. Best buds. BFFs. Yeah. Harry and Draco are BFF. (laughs) I can't go past that. That's just so traumatizing (laughs) to even say. Uh, Draco has no money and he wants Harry to get him a job with Dick, who is really Aberforth Dumbledore. Harry, because Harry didn't have a birthday present for Draco, he promises to go and, and vouch for him. And so, and then we get Dick back because Sam doesn't like training training new people, new lads. So it's nothing against you, lad, but I just don't like doing it. <laughs> well, there are some people who just aren't good teachers. That's true. I have one last bit on chapter one, and then we okay. can move on unless anybody else has anything. But I just think Hermione's mash notes must be really steamy because she has a wide vocabulary and she can probably be pretty eloquent about being naughty. And Hermione, as she's been remade in this story, is some sort of sexy Greek librarian goddess type. I gotta admit, I'm a total Harmony shipper. Always was. Always was. You know, I've been around since we had only up to Goblet of Fire, and yeah, I was pulling for Hermione. She was such a nice girl. I thought she deserved to get the hero. Mm -hmm. That's what fan fiction is for. It totally is. I love it. So we're going into chapter two, where we find out that Sam Bell, who is one of the lads, is Katie Bell's father, who's also a wizard. Mm-hmm. And he, we find out that he did a stretch of time in Azkaban for killing his wife. And Accidentally, in fact. We'll find yeah. out later. Yeah, it, it wasn't for killing his wife. It was for casting a spell that resulted in someone's death. Right. Mm-hmm. Is the technical legal terminology they give to this. It's what we would consider manslaughter. Yeah. But I love that Aberforth is his landscaping foreman that just i grinned when i saw that at the end of (laughs) chapter one yeah that was funny it's not something you would ever think of but yeah there he is Seriously, I don't. I don't remember seeing a lot of fix where Aberforth is a widely used character. And it's true. He's, he's in this a lot. It's great. I love him in this. He <laughs> is. Well, that's one thing I will say about Barb. She draws on every single name that we were ever exposed to in the four books that we had. She uses everything. Mm-hmm. She does know that she's brought in the thing that a lot of people thought that Mrs. Fig and Arabella Fig of the Order were the same person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which they were, mm-hmm. but nobody in their right mind, or nobody at all, I should say, suspected she was going to be a squid. Right. Everyone thought she was going to be this cool person on the level of Remus, Sirius, um, sort of Snape, although not as a spy. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then J.K.R. threw everybody on their head. She's just the batty old lady with cats. But boy, she can wield a purse full of cat food better than anybody I know. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Dude, I don't want to mess with the crazy old lady. Nope. Nope. Not at all. It's like, and then you you ever see in the news the stories about some punk kids who decide to mess with some old man, and it turns out he's a former Marine trained in all sorts of deadly hand-to-hand combat. Yep, and Mm -hmm. he kind of hands them their butts on their way 
out. I read at some point there was uh, somebody was trying to shake down a convenience store, and the because the proprietor was this seventy-year-old man or eighty-two or something like that, and he just grabbed a baseball bat and went after him. You don't mess with those old folks, man. They'll get you because they come from a time where there was no laziness and sitting around playing video games. They worked hard and they know what they're doing. They have no tolerance for BS. Aberforth is Dick Abernathy, which it's sort of it's, you can see the um, equivalence there. It works. Um, oh, um, jump jumping off of what I was saying before about what we knew and what we didn't know and names we worked with. Uh, something very interesting that I noticed on my skim through these chapters tonight what, before the podcast was that um, knowledge of the dark mark isn't widely known amongst people, and I, I know this because in Goblet of Fire, which I'm dissecting at, at this point in time. there's a scene in the cave with Sirius and he, Harry is telling Sirius about Karkarov showing up in potions and showing Snape something on his inner arm and Sirius doesn't know what it could possibly be and Sirius was in the order the old crowd last time and if he didn't know it makes me think that no one knew except for perhaps Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. They know what the dark mark is but they didn't realize they had it as a sort of badge thing as well as just what they cast when they Someplace. I'm sure Dumbledore knew because he has Snape. Yeah, but it, it just surprises me that other people didn't know, and I like that the knowledge is incorporated here, where so many fics just sort of, excuse me, they brush over the fact that it's not known, and because we as the reader know it, the characters know it. I, I, I'm, it's a little thing, It's a little thing, but I'm just saying I love it when the author pays that level of attention to detail. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought of that, because it is a very quick scene, that moment. But yeah, It helps, I guess that this was written when that book was the latest one we had, so we would have had more to pay attention to with that. But I like that Sam is the who's the guy with all the tattoos, just looks at Draco with this dark mark and he's like, Oh, cool tattoo, okay. Yeah. Completely brushes off the most momentous thing ever in Draco's life. And Draco wants to get more tattoos. To kind of hide it. And I love how he starts big. I want a huge dragon with a tail curling down my arm and coming over. It would be cool, man. What do you think, huh? Oh, sure. You won't mind the needles very much. Yeah. Wait, needles? What? Needles? What? What? Wait a minute. Needles? What, I, what about needles? You're not just going to do it up with magic? <laughs> I'll take you to my guy. Yeah. My guy. <laughs> and Draco wants to work in the landscaping business. And he wants to go running with Harry because just like Harry, he's discovered that he can't lift for shoot. This is fun because you you can sort of see Harry doing landscaping, though it was a little bit of a surprise in the first book, but now you have Draco Malfoy voluntarily doing landscaping and yeah, you don't see that. Draco doing any kind of work is kind of a strange thing. It is completely anathema to him and I think it's awesome for his character development that he actually has to do some manual labor. Did we lose Scott again? Yes, we did. It's a peon cast thing. For some reason, the connection to Canada sucks. Incidentally, if we are feeling particularly bored, Ray is online. She just found her microphone, and she hasn't read the fic either, but <laughs> she's asking how things are going. Yeah, right. well, we could pull her in if we want. We'll just replace Scott. 
we're going to bring in Rasev to play the part of Scott. Well, you know, we brought in somebody to play the part of Mike once, so it's, it's <laughs> yes. entirely possible. And Mike has played the part of you. He has. And Jen. He's absolutely hysterical as Jen. And I filled in for somebody, too. See, at Potterfic Weekly, you never know who you have. <laughs> you just think you do. So there's a surprise birthday party for Harry. Everyone is there. Hermione looks lovely. She does. She does. Well, she always does nowadays. Mm-hmm. Ever sh- since she went through her transformation into a Greek sexy librarian goddess or whatever it is, she... <laughs> so many stories where s- this person or that person, and it's usually Hermione as a Greek goddess because she goes down to Greece for the summer holiday, and I'm tired of it. I'm so, so tired of it. It's like, come on, come up with a different plot. Yes. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, this is a very old story, so this is one that spawned a lot of the cliches. Yep. Because if, if you really think about it, there's a lot of plot elements in this whole trilogy. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, there's way too many, as we'll get into in later podcasts, but there's just a ton of stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. And then we have Harry being jealous that... Um... It's actually starting to work on him, and Ginny will probably be glad to see the changes in Draco. Draco is in such desperate need of money that the first thing he does with his first paycheck is go out and get tattoos. Didn't, is it Sam who's got all the tattoos? Yep. Didn't Sam do it for his birthday? I believe he did. He said he'd take him to his guy and then it, I think he ended up taking him for his birthday. Scott, do you know, did um did Sam end up getting the tattoo for Draco, paying for the tattoo for Draco for his birthday? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's what I think. Alright, three for three. We agree. It happened. <laughs> Next, by committee we will decide what did or did not happen in this story. So we find out that Percy owns Weasley's Wizarding Wizards and that he and the twins live in Hogs End. Which I can actually see working the way they put it out here. It's not... You wouldn't think of Percy owning the twins' joke shop, especially because he was the target for a lot of their jokes, but the fact that they say the twins have no concept of the business side of it and they're just doing the creative work and then Percy runs the um, actual business and acquiring of material and all that side of thing. It works for the personalities. Yeah, it, it very much does because it builds on what we already know about these characters. We know Percy is a studious, ambitious sort of fellow who wants to rise up in the ministry and have responsibility. And due to the plot events of the last story, he acquires the Malfoy fortune or something or other. And, Part of it anyway, yeah. And now he's serving as chief investor for WWW and the twins needed an investor uh, beyond the thousand galleons that Harry gave them after the Triwizard Tournament. And I re- what I really like is that instead of the plotline we got in Order of the Phoenix, where Percy goes off and does his own thing, sides with the Ministry against the family, here's some more Mafia stuff, you never go against the family. <laughs> um you see Percy team up with the twins to engage in this venture, and Percy's going to be happy doing responsible business stuff. The twins are going to be happy exercising their creative impulses, and they're all going to make a whole boatload of money in the process. There are worse ways to live yeah. your life. That's true. I, I love this sentence, because Harry shakes his head in wonder and says, Percy is heading up Fred and George's company? Correction, Ron said. Percy's company. Percy's company. <laughs> yes, I love that. You know how he is. Takes everything too seriously. He really rides hurt on them. Everything goes just like clockwork over there. He's up every day 
day at six, sending owls and checking the ledgers and rousing everyone else out of bed, whether they're ready to get up or not. Which you can certainly see happening. Oh, yeah. That's Percy. That is absolutely Percy to a T. Wake up. You've got to go to work. You've got to be there. I'm the boss. I'll know if you're not there. Mm. And the twins are staggering out of the room with hair dripping because he shot water at them. And Yeah. I, I can see Percy being a really, really rough drill sergeant sort of person in the morning. Yeah, I, I have this vision of, um, like, alarm clocks that he's charmed to go off at a certain time that are really, really obnoxious. And when those don't work, then, you know, pulling the covers off the bed and then dumping the mattresses over with them on it and, you know, and then ending up with water splashed all over them. I can see it. Mm -hmm. And all without a smile cracked. He'd be very serious about the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Well, well, Percy was a prefect. He knows how to hand out that sort of stuff and do it in all seriousness and upholding the dignity of the office and blah, blah, blah. I could see it being a point of humor, too, though. Um, He'd be doing that for the first three weeks and then the first time that the twins actually get up on time and are coming out themselves he shoots water at them anyway and he's like yeah i just wanted to do that ray says she has about an hour so she can jump in if we need another warm body here okay right well i brought you in for dramatic reaction the first significant plot element of the story has just happened Professor Snape has gone missing. Oh, no! He's off on some mission for the Order, and no one's heard from him in a long time. Yep, we were just telling Ray that Snape is missing. Ah, yes, so he is. No one knows where he is. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I was a few paragraphs up. Oh, right, yes, missing, right. (laughs) This is why I needed Ray here. I needed someone who would care. (laughs) (laughs) It's too bad for him. We didn't like that he's missing, just I completely forgot that whole plot point he's gone he was undercover or something on a mission for the order and he has been out of communication he's missed he's missed the contact points or he forgot the password to tune into the radio or or whatever and and harry wonders why isn't rita the one doing the sneaking around since they have her on side now and she's the beetle and it turns out she's missing and that's why snape went okay so ron sits down with harry and they're playing chess and he tells Harry that he really ought to break up with Hermione because he doesn't love her. And he's only with her because it feels safe. It feels like they ought to be together, so therefore they are. He thinks they don't really love each other. And of course, Ron has absolutely no stake in this whatsoever. Absolutely of course not. not. Completely altruistic. Yes. yes. And, and Harry's like, but I love her. And, and Ron's like, yeah, but you love her like a friend. <laughs> Give me a break. You love me too. And I just want to know, where does Ron get the moral authority to lecture anybody about love and expressing themselves? Well, we hadn't had the moral range, the emotional range of a teaspoon scene yet at this point, so. Yes, we had. Oh, was it at, was it in book four? Wasn't it in Goblet of Fire after the uh, after the Yule Ball mm-hmm. fiasco? Oh yes, yes. Ray, so, this is Ray. Can you tell us? Ray, can you fill us in on the canon, please? It's about Cho, because they're talking about she's sad because... Oh, oh, hang on, guys. Hang on. Stop. Hey, Ray, you have to record yourself, dear. Or or actually, we don't actually have you, because we're all recording <laughs> ourselves. Yes. So we have this whole thing where you've said a bunch of stuff, and... 
are responding to blank spaces. This is all right, though, because we can just pretend like Ray has been with us all along, but she wasn't recording, so she just dropped out. We'll insert spaces where she was saying very intelligent things. <laughs> so, um, yes, so we, we did slightly jump over uh, Molly. It, it gives us a little bit of Molly's courtship, but it also brings in this plot point that runs through the rest of the story, so I think we need to touch on it. At that, um, mm-hmm. There were originally two more Weasley sisters. Right. Who disappeared when they were very young uh, while at the park, and Bill and Charlie still blame themselves because they were the ones in charge of them, and no one knows what happened to them or where they went. And basically, Ron and Ginny were not really replacements, but basically replacements for these two girls. And, and I love that... Um, so does that mean Ron was supposed to be a girl? Yes, and Molly was actually disappointed at first that he wasn't. Although she would never <laughs> tell him that, and of course she's she no would longer... Never, ever, ever tell him that. No longer disappointed. Yes, she's very proud of him now. But, but Ron has enough self-esteem problems. Yeah. They really planned it out. They, you know, they got married, and they said, okay, we're going to be married for so long, and then we're going to have a baby, and we want this baby to have a companion, so we're going to get pregnant right away, and we're going to have a companion, and then they wait a little while, and they decide to have two more, and, and stuff like that. So, although it's a big family, and sometimes people think with big families, they're accidents or not planned or, or whatever. This family was very clearly planned and, and uh, executed, so to speak. So, it's, Is that what they call planned parenthood? Planned parenthood, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm confounding Ray by telling her that Draco Malfoy voluntarily did manual labor and works for Aberforth Landscaping Company. <laughs> yes. So Ron tells Harry to break up with Hermione and, and the other thing is that Harry hasn't been sleeping very well. He's been having horrible nightmares. He can't stay asleep for very long and he's just dragging. And he's at the burrow with everybody and they've been out playing Quidditch and he fell off the broom. He was so tired he just fell off the broom. So they've given him dreamless sleep and sent him off to bed. I think we just lost Scott again. I heard the noise. And I'm dropping from the call again. Yay! Uh, yeah, Harry, you, you know Harry's tired when he can't play Quidditch, because yeah. that's all Harry does is play Quidditch. Yeah, Harry's in a bad way, and then Ron gives him this conversation, which is basically an imperative, and Harry reacts as I think we all expected him to react badly. Um, Harry is an obstinate sort of guy. He does, he tends to do the exact opposite of whatever you tell him to do, uh, especially if you tell him it's for his own good. Uh, um, and he declares that my new best friend is going to be Draco Malfoy. How dare you say these sorts of things to me? Like you're not in love with Hermione. Because, of course, Draco Malfoy is just a wonderful person and would never, ever do something skeevy and underhanded or anything no. like that. He Especially wouldn't. not to Harry. No, no. They're, they're best buds. Yeah, yeah. Forever. <laughs> forever. Nothing like a little foreshadowing. They head off to school. Yeah, they head off to school. They get onto the platform. Everything is normal, and Harry takes a lot of notice of all the younger students because Harry is well known for taking notice of other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I can't lie. That was sarcasm for anyone who didn't didn't detect that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Harry... <laughs> 
I almost said Harry is waiting on the platform for Harry. Voldemort is waiting for Harry on the platform. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Cliffhanger ending for chapter two. Yeah, he's slowed down time so that it appears to be that nothing is moving. Basically, they're they're doing the, the whole thing with the Flash. He's cast Tempest Fugit, so really time is flying for them. And apparently it's going to take 40 years for this woman's foot to finally hit the ground or something. Yeah, it's weird matrixy effects or something. And then he comes over all concerned. It's like Harry's being the um, tough guy. He's like, you said you wanted to talk to me. And Voldemort's like, Harry, you haven't been sleeping very well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Very concerned for your well-being there. Gee, I wonder why that could be. Let me see. Who's been mucking about in my head for the past year? Oh, that would be you. Yeah, well. <sighs> mm-hmm. But he's using the brother wand thing to his advantage because they can't actually duel, so. Mm-hmm. I like that that's worked in, too. Harry's sort of forced to stand there. Because in even in the canon, it wasn't the direction Joe was going with it, but it was just... Just an impediment to them, and it, it led into the Elder Wand bit and all that. But she very easily could have gone where their brother wands, and they have the potential to do all sorts of great things together. Mm-hmm. Could have, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Mm-hmm. But yes, that's what it seems Voldemort is here for. He says there are all sorts of wonderful things we could do together, and Harry is completely flabbergasted because why is he going to be casting any spell with Voldemort? There's no possible way something Voldemort wants is something he's going to be working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Harry yells, we do not have the same goals, and Voldemort says, oh, but we do, Harry. We most certainly do. <laughs> I have had quite a while to think during the last year, and in addition to researching Wand Brothers, there's something I did in the past which I deeply regret, and I know you do too. Something I wish I could undo, and with your help I can, by using our two, two brother wands in tandem. And that was just enough to hook him, because he's like, what are you talking about? I don't want anything. And then Voldy plays. Well, the the thing is, before before we go on, I would just like to break down what Voldemort says there. He very much does regret killing Lily Potter because that's what enabled the blood protection on Harry, and that's what undid Voldemort's powers. That's what killed him. Uh, he very strongly, I'm sure, does regret what happened that night. He's not lying. No, he's not here. And I think it's it's very interesting that an evil villain is so much more tempting and evil when he has truth on his side. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, it's like uh, you, you tell somebody that you don't like something unpleasant and they say, you're lying! And you just reply, I have no need to lie when the truth is so much more effective. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that's a line from my fic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was unintentional. And so, and then he also drops the bombshell that his mother was pregnant. Yeah. When she was killed. I, I remember the first time I read that, that just floored me. So Harry, against all sane judgment, decides that he's actually going to do this spell with Voldemort. They're going to go back in time and try and save Lily Potter mm-hmm. and the unborn Potter daughter. Is that actually how it goes? Because basically what happens is he says no and he starts to walk away and Voldemort throws a clock at him, which turns out to be a port key, and transports him back to where everything happens, back to Godric's Hollow. It, ta- it takes him to Godric's yeah. Hollow. 
well, yeah. And that's when he kind of says, okay, maybe I'll just, no, I'm not going to do anything. And, and Voldemort's like, well, that's fine. Just stand here and watch. Because he knows that he's not going to be able to just stand there and watch. Of course not. That's just an awful thing to have to do to somebody. This is going on the hero's list. Harry, when your enemy hands you a ticking alarm clock, put it down before it's supposed to ring. Never agree to do things in cooperation with an evil overlord. I don't know, do we want to talk more about the back in time thing? Nah, we're good. We've got so much. We're going to be here forever, so let's just keep going. Alright, well, Harry puts Imperius on his mom so that she'll save herself and her unborn daughter. Uh, things play out a little differently, but we don't see what actually happens because Harry fades into unconsciousness, and when he wakes up, he is in the present day for what was for him the present day, but he is in a completely different timeline. Harry has lost his hot liquid sexiness, all those muscles that he built up over the summer, the previous two summers now, um, working at the landscaping, are all gone, all that wasted effort. He is skinny, he is pale. But he's a little, isn't he taller? He is taller, because he hasn't been starved half to death by muggles. Yeah, because he's kept his mother. Mother took care of him. And so he's wake, he's, he has, uh, woke up on the morning he was going to be going to school. Mm-hmm. It's September 1st, just like it was. And he's realizing that it's kind of late, and oh no, he's missed the train, and then he's like, this isn't my house? <laughs> Where am I? And there other voices. This dark-haired girl walks in and he realizes, whoa, that's my sister. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he somehow manages to not have a mental breakdown because I know I would if I were in that situation. Oh my god, I have a sister. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. That would be really interesting for his family who think he's been there the entire time. Just, yeah. You yeah. walk in the room and he suddenly falls over and starts twitching. Wait, what? <laughs> a complete butterfly effect thing, you mean? With, you know, blood coming out of his nose and all that. <laughs> oh, could do. He finally looks in the mirror and he finds he has no scar and he's staring at himself so much that the mirror yells at him because it's a magic mirror. Yeah, I love that. Take a picture the mirror snapped at him suddenly. It lasts longer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only really at this point that Harry starts asking himself all of the questions he should have asked before he changed time. Yeah, jackass. Yeah. <laughs> it goes on for like six pages all of these questions and thoughts and it's like dude what's wrong with you you should have been thinking about this yeah he was a little off balance at the time what have i done yeah it's all he blames it all on the fact that he was tired the fact that he was tired well, let this be a lesson to you boys and girls get plenty of sleep eight hours of sleep a night before confronting your evil nemesis and messing with time and always always refuse port keys when they're thrown at you yeah, mm -hmm. yeah don't whatever you do don't try to catch them when your enemy hands you an alarm clock don't look at it and go hmm this is set to go off in five minutes i wonder what'll happen <laughs> i wonder what this tick, is tick 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 oh tick, shit tick. <laughs> Yeah. If it hadn't been in the Wizarding World, it would have been a bomb. But no, this is a port key. <laughs> Let's uh, here we go. 
fucking slow these chaps. We like, need to, much, yeah, let's go faster. How, how much recorded material that's usable do we actually have, and how much of it is just trying to get Scott back? Uh, I don't know, but we'll just keep going. One of the neat things about this is he starts getting the memories that his other self would have had also, so he can actually sort of pretend he knows what's going on instead of being immediately obvious that something is weird. I, one thing I think is really interesting, the whole existence of Jane Potter and Harry's got a younger sister now, is that Harry is now put in Ron's traditional role that we see him play all the time until we're sick of it, of the protective older brother, and where Ron doesn't, where you you see a lot of, like in particular Draco Ginny fix, not that I read those, but that's really where you get to see a lot of Ron at his worst, and now you're going to see Harry in the same sort of thing, because it's going to be his sister and Draco Malfoy. And Draco is Draco is going to be a different person. Uh, I, I firmly believe that going forward in this universe, um, you can't grow up with Harry and still be the same complete prick. Okay, after a very lengthy adventure, we are back. We are ready to continue going forward with this podcast. We are not going to quit. No matter the struggle that we have, the obstacles in our path. And we have two more audible Slytherins. Yes. Let's welcome Mike to the podcast. And Ray will be back. I'm just a poor peon, like the rest of us here. Ray has been our silent support for some time, as you probably will know already, depending on how we edit this. (laughs) Yes, the Um, editing should be very interesting for this one. Oh, dear. Also, I just got the new Skype on this computer, so hopefully I will drop less often. So I think before everything went crazy, Death Row was telling us about how uh, Harry had lost his hot liquid sexiness. Yes, we had mentioned that he has lost the body that he spent two summers doing landscaping to develop rippling biceps and six-pack abs and legs that an analogy is failing me to describe. He basically back to square one. He is a little bit taller because he has been well-fed for the past 14 years of his life, unlike living with the Dursleys. But yeah, he's an outsider. He is a slightly creepy stalker kid. He is not anything remotely like the boy who lived. He has changed his world. He is out of his element. He is a Slytherin, and we all know that much has been made of the fact that the Sorting Hat offered Harry a choice. It's seldom done well where anyone explores what happens when he says that Slytherin is the place that he thinks he ought to be. And here he's got all the reasons in the world. His stepfather is a Slytherin and his head of house. His best friend is a Slytherin. Which I find nicely ironic because it was largely because of Draco he chose not to go into Slytherin. Now it's largely because of Draco he's choosing to go into Slytherin. Precisely. It's beautiful use of irony here. And you Harry goes into Slytherin, and he has friends in Slytherin, and he has Gryffindor, mother, who does work influence on him, but Lily really comes across as the strict one, the disciplinarian, the one you don't want to cross. Mm-hmm. And by contrast, I never thought you would see Snape as the jovial dad. 
No, but it really is. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. It really is. So one thing that stuck out to me is that Harry has a big insecurity complex when it comes to Snape. I'm thinking particularly when he has that fight with his brother, um, because his brother makes those comments to him about his, his parents. And to me, the reason he fights is because it's stuck. He makes the comment that Snape danced on James Potter's grave, yeah, which is a, a and, pretty and, low comment, you gotta admit. But to me, the insecurity is that does Snape really care about me as much as he does his other sons? And I bet you like that, Harry, that his uh, bogger would be something like, you know, Snape turning his back for all of his problems with his mother, and he has plenty of problems with his mother in this. I, I tend to think he still takes her love, at least, for granted in this, whereas with Snape, their relationship is underlaid, I think, with a certain amount of fear on Harry's part that he has to sort of prove himself worthy of Snape's love. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is not uncommon for children in the, that situation. Yeah. Good point, Mike. And of course, this Harry is acting different now because he has memories from the canon world as we know it, thanking the house elves and things like that, which apparently... Carrying his own dishes. Which he would never do before. They're all very confused. Mm-hmm. It's just as well he does have these extra memories of how this life was. Otherwise, I think he would have been even more obvious that things were wrong. Yeah. yeah these memories just kind of catch up to him in snaps and bits and stuff as he goes along. But he is doing a few weird things. You know, waking up in, in the house that he's never been in before, according to his old mind. But he has memories of the first time they saw it and and running into the bedroom that he's in and saying, you know, this is where I want to be. Please, Mom, please, can we buy it? And then memories of... I like that this is the house that Percy's running Weasley's Wizard Weasley's out of. Yeah. Yeah, out that's, universe. that's really nice. And what do you want to bet it's going to come into play in the future? Just saying. Yeah, probably. There's all kinds of potential hilarity and drama being set up with that bit right there. If he returns to his original timeline and then knows where everything is in the twins' house and they're going to want to know how trying to show him that. around, he's like, oh yeah, I've seen that. And it, they're going to try and show him a secret passage and he'll know how to open it. And they'll be like, what the heck? How can you know like, these things? Yeah. You know, there's nifty setup things like that which are absolutely hilarious. Um, and and to the wider sort of thing, I think this is one of the first stories that really utilize that plot device of you get some of the memories so you kind of know what's going on, but at the same time you're completely out of your depth, which you get a lot when you read stories where Harry is crossing over dimensions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they head up to the... He doesn't get to ride the train in because they live in, in the town, so they go up in the horseless carriages and while they're waiting for everybody else to come. Snape says, hey, let's have a pickup game. And so they go out to the pitched to play. And Harry's like, okay, I'll be the seeker. And they look at him and they're like, uh, why? Uh, aren't you the keeper? Mm-hmm. And He's that, like, I am? I mean, of course I am. Of course yes. I am. Yes. Uh, I just thought I'd switch it up maybe for laughs. Yeah, that's it. Uh, laughs. This way my brothers will have a better chance. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out also a little bit missed that Lily is the potions professor in this one, and Snape has finally got the defense job. Right. Like, that was one of my biggest complaints, or 
not complaints per se, but because it eventually did happen, but I really wanted to see Snape get the defense job. This was before we knew that the curse was real. If Dumbledore really believes all the stuff he says about Snape, then give him the fracking job already. Yeah. It also sort of works out because of the way their attitudes are different, that Harry still has the potions professor who keeps giving him bad marks. <laughs> yes. Yeah, poor Harry. He just doesn't get the, the whole potions thing. I don't see a career for Harry in being a potions master. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I've heard a fic where something like that happened, but I can't remember exactly what went on. Stuff like that is pretty out of character, so it always twists my mind a little when it happens. Some people mm -hmm. like to go there just because it is so implausible they want to pick something new. Yeah. <laughs> the search for the original plot idea. You can get some scary stuff that way. Yeah, there's just no pleasing his mother. He, and he doesn't quite know why, but he knows that he's just, nothing he's done will really please her. And it's a secret that she's his mother and that Snape's his stepfather. They are living in the castle. The kids are all in dorms and there's a staff portion of the castle and they don't really interact. So only the people that are in the know actually know that, that they're related in any way. Yeah, Stuart and Simon are Snape's, so they know that those two are Snape's sons. Mm -hmm. But Lily, Lily goes, goes by, Evans. by Professor Evans. And, yeah. yeah. And I was impressed they could keep that secret, too, because you think anyone, because it's not like no one knows. It seems like a dozen or so people know, and they just never tell anyone. The way you would know, you would have to be friends with Harry, and you would have had to go over his house. That's what I'm saying, but it sounds like there's like a good dozen or so people who have done that. Yeah. Or, mm -hmm. I guess well, my question was that it wasn't even that it was a secret. It was kind of one of those things where, like, if someone really wanted to know, they could find out easily enough. It's just not common well, knowledge. I think what it is, Mike, is they just don't talk about it because, let's face it, Lily is a muggle-born and Snape is a Slytherin. They're hanging out with the Malfoys. It's not something that you talk about a lot. Yeah. And not as many people would have known that she and James were married before because they aren't famous. Right. Don't care about Harry's parents either because he's not famous. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You really have to consider that the fame aspect is gone, utterly gone. And he, Harry is important only to a few people who know the prophecy. Yeah. Right. So they've gone to play Quidditch, and the boys have a disease called... Pophiria. Thank you. And basically... Snape also has. Right. You learned that in the first book. They inherited it. And I just happened to, I'm scrolling as we do this, and Harry figures out when the kids, when the twins were born, and all of a sudden he has this epiphany. As he glances at his mother, kind of blushes, and he thinks to himself, the twins were born six months after the wedding. Mm. I never uh, thought of that before. And I never want to think about it again. Ah! Brain bleach, brain bleach. Brain ble Harry needs brain bleach. Yep. Well, you want to talk about weird changes. Here you go. Ron Weasley is dating Cho Chang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoa, what? And they aren't friends at all. No. no, they are not friends. And let's enlighten everybody as to why that could be. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Because he's in Slytherin? Yep. Harry had a session of stalking Ginny for a year, which yeah, Ron was creepy. not impressed with. Very creepy, very weird... Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I really don't. If that was my sister, I'd probably be taking him in the back room and punching him a few times. So I, I can't really blame Ron. 
that to me was not Ron being oversensitive because Harry's like an admitted stalker. And at this point, I guess we, we find out later on, Ginny kind of liked him stalking her. And she's sort of been like, I guess, probably subtly encouraging him even to stalk her. She was creeped out when he was originally sort of stalking her. And eventually he caught her talking to friends about how weird and horrible it was. Uh-huh. Uh, and comes around the corner and that's basically when he stopped because he was right there and they were talking about him. But then after that, she sort of realized that now something was missing because he's never there. But the moral of that story is stalkers never give up. <laughs> Mike, that's awful. That's the moral of the story, right? Stalkers never give up. Stalkers She'll crack eventually. never give up. She will eventually fall in love. We have all these creepy Potter fans who are like, you know, live in the, their parents' basement at age 50 and like all they do is listen to PFW. And now they're going to go out and they'll be like, PFW, Mike told us to stalk her. I hope not. All she says in these chapters is that it wasn't as horrible a thing as she was making out to her friends, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah. she was still a little, found it weird. Well, because I skipped around as I was listening to this today. The main reason that he stops stalking her and that he's kind of come upon them talking is she kisses him, doesn't she? And then kind of runs yes. away. He's like, oh. and then he finds out that, that it was done on a dare. And it, he's just yeah. Crushed. It, it wasn't a dare. She lost a bet. That was it. Which is even worse at this point. He's of the mentality where, oh, she doesn't even know I'm alive. He doesn't realize that she knows he's stalking her. I mean, well, how could you miss him? But he's just sort of always there. She knows about him being there. Her friends know about it, and they laugh about it so much that they use it as a punishment, that she has to kiss her stalker, which is a horribly cruel thing to do. Yeah. But the punishments in Games of Truth or Dare are never exactly what you would call fuzzy. Yeah, that's true. I have to have Hufflepuff Truth or Dare. I don't know if we've brought up while I was dropped from the call, but the different things that he's starting to notice are, one, they've stopped admitting Muggleborns, and there's a labor shortage. Well, first, we know there's a labor shortage in the Wizarding World, and then it comes out that this is partially because they've stopped admitting Muggleborns. Right. And all the teachers are scrambled around. Dumbledore is gone, so McGonagall is headmistress, and Sirius Black is teaching Transfiguration in her place. Because and, uh, they've taught Pettigrew, and they know that he was the... Yeah, because, because Lily lived. She right. was able to say that it was Peter Pettigrew who was the secret keeper. Sirius is free. He never went to Azkaban. He's godfather to Harry and to Jamie, which I like. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has not stepped in to be their stepfather himself. He is still involved in their lives. Uh, he's needed a little less when Lily marries Severus, but you know you can see in conversation that Harry and Jamie both care for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's the Transfiguration Master, which dovetails quite nicely, I think. Because he's one of the youngest Animagus in several centuries or whatever. So, Well, he, he's an Animagus. Animagus is the pinnacle of Transfiguration magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Charlie Weasley is the new Hagrid. Because yes. Awesome. Hagrid, Love that, it. that was great. It's too bad that Hagrid got kicked out because it came out he was half-giant, which doesn't fit with their precepts these days, but because yeah. Dumbledore left, for one thing. But yeah. Right, yeah. There's nobody strong yes. enough politically to stand up for him. But I think Charlie would make a good care magical creatures teacher. Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, he'd be pestering Dumbledore to let him bring in dragons. <laughs> hmm. I wonder where re- that comes from. <laughs> 
Uh, then Harry gets himself in trouble again because he's gone to the sorting feast and they're starting the year and all. And Zabini makes a remark about Lily and Harry tries to put him in detention. But of course, he's not a prefect. <laughs> and he's not a prefect. <laughs> But but I have this power. Uh-huh. I don't have this power. Wait, what happens? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, he's best friends with Draco, who is a prefect. It's the prefect. Yeah. Look at it, Harry. What's up with you? And I really like that because he doesn't understand what's going on, but he's sticking up for Harry anyway. Mm-hmm. Moral of the story: mm-hmm. Draco is a good friend. He is. Mm-hmm. And I think. As, as I've said, I haven't actually read past Chapter 7 this year anyway. I probably did when I was first reading it some years ago. But I think this is going to come up again because we've learned in the supposedly canon universe, Draco and Harry used to be play buddies when they were little because Mrs. Fate was his nanny mm-hmm. and she wiped their memories all the time of meeting each other. And she's now mm-hmm. promised to try and figure out how to reverse that. Harry already having this experience of actually being friends with Draco in this universe is probably going to come in handy later on in the story. Yeah. Going, the quest to get back home. Because apparently all the Hogwarts ghosts can tell that something is wrong. Yeah. And especially when it's the bloody Baron sitting next to you and staring at you, you're going to pay attention. (laughs) Yes, yes. Listen to the Baron. He is a very fearsome ghost. And they're all saying, fix it. Even the fat friar, who is a jovial sort, beloved house ghost of wonderful Hufflepuff, he has got a nasty look on his face. Fix it. Fix it now. And Harry's like, but I don't know how. (laughs) Figure out a way. Yeah. And then he just flies away. Harry's left to go, I need Hermione Granger Same now. Kind of, I've got to find Hermione. She can figure stuff out. Yeah. And it's very interesting because it ties into the ban on Muggleborns. She's mm-hmm. gone. It's not like he can just go sit at a different table and say, hey, Hermione, I know I'm a Slytherin and I've been an evil bastard for the past five years, but you know what? I think you might be pretty okay after all. So what do you say? You want to hang out, do some homework, study in the library for a while? I don't think so. Right. Too stupid. I wouldn't read it. I don't think any of you would read it. And it, it's very nice because he has a questionable and Hermione, Hermione didn't go to Hogwarts. And now you got to wonder, okay, well, what's she doing? What's, where did she go to school? What's she been doing with herself? And there were actual this planted in Psychic Serpent, which you never, it was just passed over and you never really thought of it at all. But Hermione has become a professional cellist because we learned in Psychic Serpent that she used to play the cello and stopped when she came to Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. And since she didn't come to Hogwarts. More than that, though, I kind of read it to you that the interesting thing is that all the Muggle-born children, they're all living lives as sort of like the best of the best at whatever it is they do. Very exceptional just, people. Right. Well, that's and the magic is obviously... Right. First of all, obviously, it's the way that magic expressing itself in um, their muggle lives and making them successful muggles. But some things like what she sort of touches it on it in a couple of places, what would have been interesting for this year go more into depth is why they sort of forsake these seemingly perfect 
muggle-wise, dive into the magical world as, um, and, and become the role of a minority almost. And yet we all have this sense of, you know, something's missing kind of a little bit. But still, I, I think of myself in Hermione's place, and I go, well, you know, I love magic, but would I really give up, you know, my millions of dollars and my penthouse apartment to go basically fight what's almost like a civil war in the magic world? This is just a side note. I think it would be kind of fun to read a fic where he did like go over and sit next to Hermione and try that, and it didn't work. She said, oh, yes, let's hang out and be friends and study together, and, oh, by the way, you know, find out how to get into other dimensions. And I expect she would probably either run away or slap him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. that could be very interesting. His best chance shot to hell. Because he would... That would be very, very interesting. He would do it without thinking. He would just go to her, and that would lose his chance, because if he thought about it and said, okay, yes. I've got to do this slowly and work up to it and and stuff like that, maybe I'd, I'd be able to pull it off. But he's not going to think of that. He's just going to go straight over and try it, and he's going to lose his chance. Exactly. He's decided he has this quest to find Hermione, but he can't figure it out right now. He's tired. He's just going to go to bed, and Draco's going, hey, what about planning our giant prank on Weasley, and he's like, eh, there's no point. And he's like, point? To getting Weasley? Yeah, there's no point. point. You, you had a great idea that you were going to share with me. What is it? Oh, I'm going to bed. <laughs> or the, great, the great idea is to give it up. Yeah. That's Harry's great idea. Turns out a little later that the great idea was actually to confess he's um, seeing Ginny, which would, you know, make Ron's head explode. Yes, it's really it's not, not the best ideas. Think about it. And he's forgot he's seen Ginny. But that's included comedic value. Author taking the pen and saying, I'm going to make this hilariously bad. Because when Harry is brought into this alternate universe, in the real world, he is dating Hermione. If he is with Ginny in this alternate universe, is Harry cheating on Hermione, who doesn't really exist anymore, now that he has these memories of being with her and not breaking up with her? This was for the fans, I think, because you'd have the HD fans who are reading through the story and going, why is he with Hermione? Why is he with Hermione? When's he going to get with Ginny? And assuming any of them kept reading, which I imagine most of them would, but here he is with Ginny, yeah. but it's only in an alternate universe. This is something we batted about a lot. You have to question, is Ginny Ginny? Is she the same person? She's had... Hmm similar experiences, not identical ones. She's grown up in a world at war where there's still a lot of uncertainty and fear and so forth. And on the other hand, she hasn't had the whole experience with Tom Riddle's diary in the Chamber of Secrets. So one can make an argument that Ginny in this AU is fundamentally different than Ginny from the canon and the the year five, as Barb has written it. She's not completely different, but she is fundamentally different. So it's Harry Jenny, but it's not really Harry Jenny. Mm-hmm. You think about that, too, because she most likely would have been much better at making friends to start with, because she wasn't having this her first year all taken up with Tom Riddle's diary. So she would have actually spent the time with the girls in her dormitory, who we never hear about. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, mm-hmm. Those are probably the girls she was talking with about Harry in, the, in this version of the universe. Is Harry cheating on Hermione? 
yes or no? Mm. That's a hard one. Now, possibly, but on the other hand, you know, he knows that he's got these memories now. He knows that his self here was with this Jenny, and would it be fair to her for him to just break it off for no reason right now? Mm-hmm. And what would happen? Especially for someone who doesn't still exist. What I'm asking you is, one, if he's cheating on Hermione going there, and two, if you say, no, he's not on cheating, he can go with Ginny, does that imply that emotionally he's ending his relationship with Hermione? And obviously Hermione's not there for him to officially end it, but if he's with Ginny, it does internally he has to be closing the book on Hermione. So that is, Hermione from his universe teleported to this world also, he'd be considered broken up with her, is what I'm getting at. By going with Ginny, is he emotionally closing the book on Hermione, in your opinion? I think he might be, yes. It's hard to say, but he seems to be showing signs of that. If it had to start up with Ginny, I agree with you, Mike, that he would be closing the emotional door on his relationship with Hermione, and like he would have to take steps, assuming he gets back to his real world, uh, I think he would and I, take steps immediately to... And personally, um, if I could just see why I think it's a little wrong what Harry's doing, because keep in mind, I'm not a Hermione fan, I'd rather him, I'd actually rather him with Ginny over Hermione. But my problem is... Wow, Mike what? chips Harry Ginny. Over her Harry Hermione. I'm not a Hermione fan at all. Usually I'm not a Hermione fan. <laughs> the one Hermione I actually liked was, um, I actually kind of liked the other darkness Hermione. Um, but that aside, man, I like all of your records, but one of my favorite parts actually is seeing the trio from the outside perspective. Like seeing the trio in that fifth from uh, Neville's perspective. But let's not go into the of darkness. But I'm trying to perspective surface. Here's my problem with it, basically. I think there's two ways to look at it. If you look at it that Harry's eventually going to be going back to his world, or that his world still exists, and he's cheating on Hermione. If you take it from Harry's going to himself, I'm stuck here, this is where I am, let me live here, then in theory, I have no problem with him deciding that I want to start a relationship with Jimmy. My problem is, I do have a problem with is, on one hand, I get the sense when I read this, that he hasn't closed the book with Hermione yet, whether he does in the future or not, I don't know, that he's sort of like, it's almost like he's like a traveler to different cities. He has like the mistress in New York, and the mistress in London, and when he's in New York, he ignores the London mistress, and when he's in London, he ignores the New York mistress. That's almost sort of the mentality I get from Harry, is that if he transported back to time to his world, he'd be okay hanging out with Hermione and kissing her and having sex with her. Um, so he hasn't closed that book on it. And the second part is I'd like to see him be honest with Ginny, because if he's going to be in this world long-term, and if Ginny is more than just a school romance. But if that's all she is, hey, that's wonderful. But she's going to be more than just sort of like your high school first romance, and this is something that's going to be built on the last, then he needs to come clean to her about his past relationships, who he is, where he's from. Because he's not the person she thinks he is. Because he's not just the Harry from her world. He's also the Harry from his world mixed together. He's actually a totally different person. And he's basically almost misleading her as much as he would be misleading being unfair to Hermione, he's also unfair to Ginny, because he's not being honest with her on one, his attachment to the other girl that she's not aware of, and two, just who he is. And on the side note, really different podcasting with Sion, because you guys are so quiet when I talk, I keep thinking that the connection's done out, because when I'm podcasting with a host, it's always people making noises and comments interrupting you, and I'm like, 
because you joined us late. It's true. There's a lot of interesting moral issues here. You really do have to consider what is Harry doing. It is going to stay in this universe for some time. He will. He would eventually figure out a way to tell Ginny that, but he can't just come right out at this point and say, oh, by the way, the reason I forgot our meeting behind the greenhouse is I'm from another universe and I'm not dating you. That just does not go well. No, not at all. But yeah. Of course, which, you know, he probably should have said it in that case, if, because he would say something like that. It'd be fun to see him, just like we were saying with Hermione, walk over to the table, sit down, hi, I'm from another universe, and I need you to help me get back. Mm-hmm. I think, from what I remember, he was, at the beginning of this, Ron has said to him, you need to break up with Hermione, and so that's kind of put that little kernel in the back of his mind, even though he's obstinate and saying, well, if you're telling me I need to break up with her, then that's the last thing I'm going to do. But also, in these chapters, once he finds out that he's with Ginny, he doesn't do a lot of stuff with her. I'm thinking of after he catches a snitch in the Quidditch game and, you know, loses the game for them because he does an illegal move and he runs off and he hides all day and she sends him an owl and invites him to the Muggle Studies classroom and they're there and he takes a nap and and all of this stuff and they start kind of kissing and she says do you not like kissing me and he said no why and she said well you always seem to be holding back and it's because he knows that Hermione's in that other life and that he's with Hermione and so he's very consciously trying to be very slow about this and he is having an internal struggle about it because he doesn't know Am I cheating on Hermione if I'm with Ginny in this life? And that is something that he he thinks about in these chapters. I think it's kind of half and half, because he is two people combined in one body now. If he carries forward with this new-to-him relationship with Ginny, yes, he's cheating on Hermione. If he remains loyal to Hermione and he distances himself from Ginny, that's not really fair to his alternate self either. Right. I don't, I don't think yeah, there's don't a clean way to do this. I don't. If he didn't get the memories, because if he just showed up and somewhat, somehow someone told him, oh, by the way, Janie's your girlfriend, I don't think he could have brought himself to just go with that, because he wouldn't have the memories of starting that relationship. But in this case, he does have some of the memories. He has memories, a very so. long history. Mm-hmm. He's got a very long history with Ginny. He sees her at Quidditch World Cups and in bookstores. And it's like Harry is Charlie Brown and Ginny is the little red-haired girl. Please tell me how there's some sort of delay in the line. <laughs> that was a gem. I threw that out there and there was crickets going off, you know. Yes, we have a little delay going on. I'm sorry. Of hey. course, uh, no way. That's what it is. It's Peoncast. We, we're having technical difficulties all night. Technical issues. Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. Mike. Mike, I know I needed yeah. someone to laugh at my jokes, but you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Is Ray back yet? Mike, have we answered your question yet? 
You've answered my question. Okay. Where are we actually in the thick at this point? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're in the middle of chapter five. Sort of, but I could be wrong. We are, and then we sort of skipped around. Sidetracked from specific. Yeah, we went pretty progressive up till chapter five, and then we just started going off on themes. Uh, something new and different. This girl Mariah Kirkner is uh, very interested in Harry. She sees him wandering around the Slytherin common room, and he's gone down the wrong corridor. He's gone down the girls' corridor. And she sort of steps out. She's got this thin nightdress on, and she's looking at him, checking him out, and going, Hi, Harry. What's up? And fluttering her eyelashes at him, I'm sure, and making kissy things. It's like, I just got in from an alternate universe. I'm not ready for a relationship yet. I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm lost. Yeah. I, I took her wrong turn. It turns out that because Draco is the ladies' man, also doesn't believe in Harry's mystery girlfriend, who Harry, of course, doesn't know about at this point. So, yeah. And Harry has Draco a mystery decided he Canada. needs to set Harry up. Yeah. Yes. So he finds a nearby slide in the form of Mariah Kirkner and says, go show Harry a good time. And I just gotta say, wow. I mean, I wish I had more friends like that when I was in high school. (laughs) Seriously. Oh my goodness. Don't you wish you had more friends like that when you were in high school? I totally wish I had friends like that in high school. Okay. I'm just gonna say that. He's just too humble to talk to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you never know. Uh, but I, I I know Scott's with me. You don't have to say it, Scott. I know you you wish you had friends like that in high school too. Yes, he, he's left denying yes. it. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, silence. Harry is moving silence on. Is silence And he's decided he's going to have to bring somebody in on it. So he's bringing in Jamie and Draco, though he still hasn't told them he's from an alternate universe. He's telling them, "I have this plan. I need to find somebody. I need to find a Muggle-born witch." And they are understandably confused. And they have no idea how he's going to do this, but he says, I happen to know some names. I just saw them somewhere. I can't tell you. He's going to find someone. Yeah. Yeah. The excuse I can't tell you comes in very handy for Harry. And everyone, <laughs> rightly enough, gets sick of it. Yeah. What do you mean you can't tell us, or Harry? How he uses the fact that they're in Slytherin to convince them. It's like, are we Slytherins or not? Of course we were sneaky enough to do this. And. Of course, he's not even yeah. being a Slytherin, but yeah, it works for him. He's just like, let's, well, he's playing off the stereotype. Let's be sneaky for the sake of being sneaky. And they're all like, okay. No problem. Hey, if somebody presents me with something that could be some sneaky fun and I have nothing better to do, I'm likely to go along with it. Yeah. Just for something to do. I would say, that'd be like, you know, if I was in Hufflepuff and I was from an altered dimension. And Hufflepuff's like, what's wrong, Michael? Why are you acting so strange? I'd be like, give me a hug. Mm-hmm. And if I'm Gryffindor, I'd be like, he called her on my blood. And they'd all attack him. And Ravenclaw, I was like, it's a pop quiz tomorrow. <laughs> so I cover all my bases. You can cover all your bases. That's good. So he's got this plan. He's going to find Hermione. But what he's got to do is he needs the invisibility cloak and he needs the Marauder's Map. And so he's got to come up with a plan on how to get those. And so he tries sending a letter. Well, first of all, he tries to get Jamie to talk to Lily about it. And Lily 
doesn't answer. And he decides he's going to send a letter to Remus, who, along with the Muggleborns having not been admitted into school, all of the werewolves have been rounded up and put into basically concentration camps. But they still can get letters in and out. So he sends a letter to Remus asking about the cloak and is waiting for the, the concentration camp. It's 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 mildly better than a concentration camp. It is in fact a slave labor camp, and they sell the products that they make. Mildly better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a whole lot. But... And I like their little exchange with Draco here. He's like, "What about me? Am I Mister Useless now?" He says. No, you're Mr. Money. I have no allowance. I'm broke. <laughs> Always have money. You can you can fund us. Yes, that's your that's your job. You get to be the the bank man. And chapter six, I believe, is when he ends up his plan ends up coming together. Well, first he has a number of these memories that again we've already talked about with the stalking and all, and then his plan starts coming together to actually make it into the middle world. Yes, after the incident uh, at the Quidditch pitch and spending time in the Muggle classroom with Ginny, he walks her back to her common room, and all of a sudden, the caretaker's behind him, and he doesn't know where he came from. He's sure he would have seen a shadow or something, and he gets taken down to the office, the crashing, banging sound, and the caretaker leaves after giving him tea, which I thought was hysterical. Would you like to be the mother? And Harry takes the opportunity to... (laughs) To go through the, the files and find the Marauder's Map, which is one of the things that he needs. Yeah. And we actually have a nice character there. in this, which is kind of disconcerting. Yes, it because... It is a little creepy after Filch. But Filch, Filch disappeared. Right. All of the squibs have disappeared. Squibs all disappeared. We don't know why or how, but they've gone. That's three things the Ministry has done, or we presume that bad factions within the ministry were responsible for this. The squibs have all disappeared, the werewolves are all in prison camps, and muggleborns are no longer allowed at Hogwarts. Maybe it was just my reading. The ministry is not actually out and out by Goldborn. Things it does can be morally wrong, but it can't really be secret or hidden yet. So, like, the squibs vanishing is a lot more, in some ways, is a lot more sinister than the werewolves and the muggleborns being kept out of school. Because those, at least, those you connect to the ministry because there's, like, you know, this legislation. We know what happened to them precisely. The squibs vanishing, the implication to me, at least, is they were all killed, probably. And we have, I don't think that was the ministry, because I don't think the ministry's reached such a state where something like that could be forced through. Like, like if it was just like the squibs were excluded from wizarding society or something like that, or the squibs are sent to like special remedial schools or, or that I could see being coming from the ministry, the fact that they just disappear without a trace, to me that points to hold the more directly without using the ministry as a go-to. Mm-hmm. Because here's a question. So you're asking us if we think it's better or not that Voldemort has taken over. Partly I'm asking whether it's, it, it, it's better. Or partly I'm asking if you guys actually think is this. What's so funny? Uh, you, you're killing me, Mike. It's late. I'm exhausted. Listen to the Partly what I'm asking, do you guys actually think this world is better than the world Harry left? And the other half of what I'm asking is, do you think at this point the ministry is still doing more good than bad? 
the position of the ministry in this, I think, is a better of the two. If you're comparing the ministry position in this AU and the ministry position in the canon. Actually, you know, we got to pause here. And what are we comparing this to? Are we comparing it to the canon, the real canon, or the fifth year story? I'm asking you both. I'm asking one, like, do you think this world is in actual better shape than the, than the world Harry left in the story? And the other part I'm asking is, would you rather have, if you were living in the wizarding world, would you rather have a ministry like this or a scenario where Voldemort docks the ministry out, like in book seven? I think that Voldemort is definitely moving behind the scenes in this ministry and is pulling strings and kind of has his finger in a lot of pies, and that's why things are happening like they're happening. He's out there stronger, but he's, he's doing it very subtly. We talked about this earlier. I don't know about the other. This Voldemort also remembers the other timeline, so he knows that at this point he can afford to move slowly. Right. Well, here's my question. I almost wonder whether even though in terms of violence, it's worse when Voldemort's sort of like out and out opposed to the ministry and out and out trying to take them out. But I wonder if in the long run, it's actually better that that happens than what you see here. Because what I see here is I see almost the side of the light being undermined in itself. Like when people like Mr. Weasley, for whatever the reason, are putting forward a ban on muggle-born children in Hogwarts, and you have sort of like this slow corruption where there's no obvious enemy to fight, and so you're just sort of sitting there running in circles. I almost think that's worse for the cause in some ways than if Voldemort just like came out and like knocked the ministry out and was like, I'm taking over. I think then it's easier to organize resistance than what we see here. Yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah. Did we lose Scott again? We've been losing Scott all night. We lose Scott all the time. We're always using <laughs> cast thing. And I was telling Deathrow, you know, we have to work constantly to fit into this podcast. I noticed this because it came up on the interview I just came from. We have yet to go on a podcast that I've been on where the fact that Goyle is a man of action has not come up in the conversation somehow. I should just throw that out there. We should maybe have to think of a way to bring it up in this podcast. We can, because bring there's going plus? to be a mention at some point, I think, in these chapters that Crab and Goyle went to Hufflepuff. We've already gone past that. Oh, yeah. I went to Hufflepuff. What the hell is a Hufflepuff? So Goyle is not a man of action in this fic. No. Yes. I'm offended for the Hufflepuff stuff. Sue. You're implying they can't be men of action. Sue is. Yes, dear. Sue is. Head of Hufflepuff. The podcast we lost that we're filling in for, I was on that, and I can see Ryan was like, Flipping out, blowing a gasket that Crab and Goyle were stuck in his house. He was like, "How dare they stuck <laughs> my house? What are they saying?" He was personally like, offended. Oh, why like, like, really That's just sad. I mean, yeah. Loyalty is a Draco. Yes, they showed great loyalty. And I told him, and I told him in that episode, I was like, "You should be grateful to have a man of action in your house." <laughs> <laughs> I can actually see them in Hufflepuff because, like you guys said, they, they do show this loyalty. And, and I also maintain that no 10-year-old child is an idiot. I mean, that must be an idiot evil. I'm about to say they are idiots. Uh, no 10-year-old child is oh, evil. Oh, yes. I, I see no reason why they couldn't be no. upstanding Hufflepuffs. 
They show no really great cunning. They're just in Slytherin because they follow Draco around. If they're not doing that, Draco has oh, his own group of it, friends now. They're loyal to each other and various other things. It it's also because of what their dads expected of them, because it's mentioned that they're, that Crab and Goyle Sr. both went to Azkaban, and as a result, they were raised with relatives, and they weren't brought up to believe with, with the standard Death Eater philosophy and, and so forth. So they were shaped differently in the 10 years before they came to uh, Hogwarts. Yes. They love hugs now. Mm-hmm. Grab and Goyle love to give hugs. They love hugs. Are they hugging each other? Only in group hugging time. I really want to see a moment where Harry's like freaking out in this pic and like Grab and Goyle go, it's all right, Harry. Give me a hug. Like, you know, motion <laughs> to him with their hands. <laughs> 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 Chapter 7. Harry has made it to the Muggle world. Yes, he has. He's disguised himself by using his animagic skills to grow a giant Hagrid beard. (laughs) He just realized he was doing it. He did a total Hagrid beard. That was funny. And I love that he's gone to the library. The (laughs) The one thing that he remembers, thank you, Dursleys, is that whenever they pick him up from King's Cross and take him home, they always pass the British Library. So he's like, cool, I know exactly where I can go to find a phone book to look up Hermione Granger. I'm going to the British Library. And he comes upon of course, this help desk where the girl is no help, at least in the beginning. And she's hysterical because she's not paying any attention to him whatsoever. She's just spouting the lines. She's got a script. She knows it by heart. She's reading a book as she talks she's to him. Reading- She's reading verbatim from the website. <laughs> oh, and he's just like, uh, excuse me, but, but, uh, and she just keeps talking over him. And finally he's like, will you be quiet? And she looks at him and she's like, ooh. Madam Pitts would be very ashamed of him. She would. Or maybe she wants someone to yell at her, too. What are you yeah. implying about the lovely Madam Pitts? I'm implying that she has, you know. The implication is all li- in this all librarians have a thing for people who yell at them. So the librarian starts flirting with Harry, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. So maybe if Harry yelled at Pence, Madam Pence would start flirting with Harry. Well, no, it wasn't the yelling. It's totally the beard. Yeah, it's the beard and the green eyes. He finally gets her attention, and he spells out Granger and Hermione and everything. And she looks at him like he's nuts, and she points to a sign behind and. Hermione's giving a concert. Hermione Granger appearing today. Wow, how's that for timing? Do you think this Hermione's, what do you call them, things that kill the mentors? Um, Patronus. Patronus, yeah. Do we ever find out whether, I, I want to I feel like I should know the answer to this. Do, do they stay the same or do they change? I mean, like, does Harry's change? Is Hermione's going to be different? And et cetera, because they're not the same people? Or is it something more like genetically? I don't know. I don't think that... I think the implication actually is C. Canon the alternate, different. I will absolutely agree to that, because doesn't Tonks Patronus change it, its form? Yeah. Yes, it does, yeah. Which would imply it's not a genetic... And that's... Uh, emotional makeup thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everyone probably has yep. Patronuses, pretty much. At this point. Okay. That would be... Pat- yeah. That's Patroni. Okay. So he gets, he walks into the oh, concert. So, somebody drinking Patron? I'm going to step over you because I'm hungry and I want dinner. 
and it's 10 o'clock and I haven't had my dinner yet. <laughs> so I'm just plow through here. Um, he walks into the concert hall and it's not the Hermione he knows that's putting on this concert. Ah, you're describing punk Hermione? He could see Hermione quite well now, and he tried not to reveal to the people around him how shocked he was by her appearance. Hermione looked more like she was dressed for clubbing than giving a Tuesday afternoon cello concert. She wore a tight black bustier that appeared to stop above her navel, black shorts that were very brief and tight, and sheer black tights with clunky black dog martens. She cradled the cello between her legs. The chip rested not on the floor, but on a small disc that was attached to the leg of her chair like a dog on a lead. Seeing the way she held the instrument to her, to her body, he was aware of his mouth going dry. Her hair was done in what seemed to be a thousand tiny braids, pulled together at the nape of her neck, reminding him of the way Jamaica Thomas had worn her hair. A single lock of hair that began above the left side of her brow was not braided, hanging in a sinuous curl that lightly touched the side of her face. This long curl was dyed bright red, which matched her eyeshadow. In fact, Harry could not ever remember Hermione wearing makeup, and here she was, looking as though the cosmetics display in a chemist's shop had exploded, and she was unfortunately in the line of fire. As he's watching her play, he notices that her hand is stretching every time she reaches for certain chords, and he wonders if she's doing accidental magic, and then he wonders if she knows that she's doing it. He waits around after the concert is over, and she gives out autographs to everyone that wants them, and He's noticed that there's lots of guys in the audience, and they all are waiting for her autograph. And there's a young man there who's apparently an ex-boyfriend who is trying to get her back. And so Harry decides he's going to help her out. He tells the boy that he's from a newspaper and that he's doing an interview. Hilarious, given how much Harry hates reporters. Yeah. Then he kicks himself because he gives the wizarding newspaper and nobody knows what he's talking about. And he's like, oh, man, I should have thought of something different. <laughs> well, that's Harry. He doesn't think. No, he doesn't think. It gets really annoying. So he tells her that she's a witch. And she doesn't quite believe him, but he sits there and goads her until she gets really, really angry and causes accidental magic to happen. Not a good idea. Why does he think that's a good idea? I'm not sure. I mean, just, you know, Pardon me for asking this question. <laughs> it's really not a good idea to goad people into doing magic. When they have and no control. Especially because it's usually the violence. Yeah. So basically what happens is that she shatters the lenses in his glasses. And she looks at him totally baffled that he should be happy that he she just broke his glasses. And he's like, you did it. I knew you could or something like it. See, this is why we have to talk. And she's like, what? Are you mental? You don't think I broke your glasses, do you? Her voice shook. And he wondered yeah. what kinds of magic she'd done. And uh, he repairs through tickets. Haro. Oh, sorry. I, there was a thing. It was either immediately before or after what you were just talking about. But where he says to her to get her to talk to him, he's like, what about that time in Philadelphia? And she's like, oh my god, someone knows about that. We have no idea what actually went on in Philadelphia. We don't. But he's taken a, a shot in the dark, and this one actually worked for him. And he kind of explains what she is, that she's a Mongol-born witch, and that she's not been allowed to go to Hogwarts, the school, and that there's a whole community of 
wizards and witches out there. And, she, you know, she's just not believing him at all. And so he gives her the wand and says, here, you try. And she tries to levitate the, the cello and ends up smashed on the floor because she has no idea of the force that she has. And she just... And then she blames him. Yeah, it's his fault. He... Yeah, why did you let me do that? That's the priceless cello. That's one of a kind. I can't just go get another one. And he says, no worries. This is a handy-dandy little spell. Reparo. Cello reparo. <laughs> no, you have to say what you're repairing. Cello reparo. Okay. Nice. Oh, Mike, you are still with us. I was afraid we'd lost you. Kind of like Scott. You haven't lost me yet, but now you're going to lose me. Okay. All right. Good night, Mike. Night, Mike. I don't know how you guys stay up this all the time. Sleep well. Well, it's only 10 o'clock for me, so it's not horrible. I don't know if Death Roll stays up this late all the time. My bedroom yeah. is so far. It, it's I'm not the... You can do it. You absolutely can do it. Without a sleep with your head on the keyboard. Yeah, that causes unsightly squares on your face in the next morning. It's no good. Good night, Mike. Anyway, good night, Mike. Right. So basically, she causes the... She has the accidental magic. They, they do a little magic here and there. And they're getting ready to leave. And... Harry kind of gets this feeling, he hears a noise, and they hide because someone's coming, and it's the accidental magic reversal squad. And it's our dear friend, Gilderoy Lockhart. Gilderoy Lockhart. I love it when someone uses Gilderoy Lockhart in a fic and uses him well, because you don't see him done well a lot, and he's just a really annoying character. But he can be that annoying guy and still be relevant to the story. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really just an example. And it shows that, yeah, he really is good with his memory charms. It's all he's good at. I just hope he doesn't get fired from this job. Yeah, that would not be good. And he does. In, in the other timeline, he, he gets fired because he puts an, am I remembering this right? He puts a memory charm on Neville and it pretty much backfires and erases everything. And so they fire him from that. But in this timeline, that's never happened. Right. Neville is not brain damaged. Hello. Hello. You're hey, just, Ray. You're just in time for us to pretty Hi. much finish it up and say goodnight. All right. But we're glad to have you back. And we got you, Scott, too. Yay, we're all here. Yay. Quick, everybody say goodnight while we're all here and we'll... Splice it in at the end. <laughs> we can do this way. <laughs> we're, we're almost there. So we're just talking that Gilderoy and Angelina have arrived to do some uh, magic reversal. But Harry and Hermione are hidden and they're not smart enough to actually find them. Gilderoy, the Elvis impersonator obliviation squad. Yeah, that's right. I had forgotten. He's dressed up as Elvis. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He's wearing a shiny bronze shirt open almost to his navel and had lots of gold chains around his neck and medallions on his tan chest. I don't think of Gilderoy as tan at all. He looked like he spent all of his time in a tanning salon or the wizarding equivalent. His skin was far too dark for his long, wavy blonde hair. Beside Angelina's natural, warm, medium brown skin, he appeared quite ludicrous. His dark pants were also of some shiny material, far too tight. He swaggered in, looked around nonchalantly. 
Harry held his breath. He sincerely hoped Hermione would remain silent. Mm-hmm. He, he just needs the music following him. A little jailhouse rock or something going on. And that's the thing. Yeah. With, with Gilderoy Lockhart, you know he's written well because you don't say that's not something he would ever do. You just sort of shake your head, sit back and marvel and go, ah, Gilderoy Lockhart, what won't you do? <laughs> yeah. And Angelina asks him if he can tone it down next time. He's like, oh, this has been my best undercover outfit. The ladies all love it. And she says, sure, it's fine for pub crawling in... Some neighborhood. Yeah. Some neighborhoods. Could, could you try to look a bit more er, normal instead of like a refugee from Saturday Night Fever? How does she know that? Is Angelina Muggleborn? Well, if she was Muggleborn, she wouldn't be there, would she? I guess she must be half blood in this. I don't know if she would have started school before the band went in. She was only two years ahead of Harry. Because they said they did let everyone who was already there when they put it in continue. Everyone who's already there but 10-year-olds would not get their letter. The fact that those two showed up sort of convinces Hermione that something's going on, and he shaves with magic and things like that. And yeah, they head off to Diagon Alley, and he seals up her robe from playing cello so it looks more like an actual wizard robe, and tells her not to look surprised when she sees the goblins, which would be pretty tough. He goes in to exchange the money in, in earlier. The goblins just <laughs> gouge him. And when she goes in to exchange money, muggle money for galleons, they, they try to charge her an exorbitant price and she haggles them down. And he's just like, you can do that? I didn't know you can do that. <laughs> he gets her an owl so that they can right. communicate, but doesn't give her get her a wand because he's just a little bit afraid of how much damage she would do with a real wand. But they buy her books so that she can go study. Hang on, on the the subject of the wand, you have to wonder, would Ollivander even sell her a wand? You know, I think that Ollivander is just crazy enough. that He would, but would there be some sort of ministry rules or oversight to make sure he's not selling wands to Muggleborns? I think that with the way that they've set this up, that they wouldn't believe that any Muggleborns would find their way there. So they probably wouldn't have something like that in place. They might put something in Fair later. Enough. But at this point, they wouldn't They wouldn't have thought of it. They already have the projections on the Leaky Cauldron, so they don't have to worry about anybody getting into Diagon Alley. True, you do need a wand to get in. Mm-hmm. But I imagine you could just go through with some other people. You wait till you see some people going, and then you go and look casual and so forth. There are ways, but you would have to know about it, and until Harry comes along, they don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Because nobody else would tell them. Harry's bound in government. And they make a plan that she is going to attempt to... Help him find all the rest of the Muggleborns. Right. And she's going to use the computer. So, um, she's going to go try to find the rest of them, and so they have a plan, and Harry's going to yeah. bring Ginny back the next weekend, so that she can explain all about being a witch to Hermione while he goes and looks up whoever she happens to find for him. Which is another interesting difference with this world when you think about it, because I very much doubt Arthur has as much access to all the muggle artifacts and things as he would in the canon universe. Mm-hmm. So, so Ginny really has hardly any experience at all with muggle thing. One of the 
things earlier when they were meeting in the Muggle Studies classroom. He had to show her where the cooking instructions were on a box of pasta. He heads back to school because he realizes he's late and he better get back before he's missed. And he's got it set up that Draco is waiting for him with the Marauder's Map and is going to let him, you know, make sure nobody's in the corridor when he sneaks out from behind the the mirror. That's how he got into the village. And so he gets there. Let's just say that Draco Draco is being a really good friend here. He's been hanging out, just waiting, and is... It, we find out that he's been waiting, and he's been waiting with Jamie, and they've been snogging. Mm-hmm. D- d- does that happen? I don't remember. Yes, yes, that's where I was just going, so go ahead and finish it. I, I think it's tremendously funny. Harry has to play the protective older brother, and it's against his best friend, Draco. And Draco, mm-hmm. apparently, from all things, is absolutely not to be trusted around women. So it seems. And, of course, that's exactly when... Harry manages to come and start hearing a conversation. Yeah. Of course, it's for entire comedic value. Then they go down for dinner and wait until everybody's done. I, I love this. They're waiting to, he wants to tell everybody once. He doesn't want to have to say it more than one time. And they've kind of made, I'm going to call it the end room, off the uh, Great Hall where they go in the fourth movie where all the champions go or in the fourth book where all the champions go, uh, has become their meeting place. And so they've waited for everybody to leave and Ginny's waiting for everybody to leave so they can all go in there together. But Ron and Seamus and Neville are all with Ginny. And Ron's kind of like, come on, Ginny, you can read in the common room. And we're like, oh, man, how are we going to get her? And so Jamie's like, oh, allow me. And she kind of slaughters over and starts flirting with Ron. And Ron picks his jaw up off the ground and talks to her. And, and somewhere in the back <laughs> of his mind, there's this little voice that goes, Joe, Joe. But, you know, he's totally not thinking about her at all. And then Seamus kind of steps in front of him and is trying to one-up him. And he steps back in front of Seamus. And Harry's just afraid that Draco's going to kill him. And Draco's over there just laughing his head off because he knows that she's just playing them both, or all three. Well, Neville, yeah, well Neville's interested in Ginny, so he doesn't I, really care. In that scene, I really wondered just when exactly it was that Jamie was revealed as part of Vila. <laughs> yeah. They haven't told us that yet, but it's coming, I'm sure. Not. I'm sure it is. <laughs> she's only 14, and she has a hypnotic effect over these two 16-year-olds. Yeah, well, 16-year-old boys. Anybody paying attention to them? Yes. Dude, a slight breeze is all it takes for them. So they manage to get Ron and the boys to leave, and they head into the little anteroom, and he tells them, all about his adventures in Muggle London and that he's founder and, and all of that. So he goes to his father, he goes to Snape, he needs Albus, he needs to know where the cloak is, and he thinks that Albus might kind of help him. So he goes and he asks, do you have any idea where Dumbledore is? Is he still around? And Snape is like, what? You wrote to him about being a spy. And you know that I've been a spy since you were seven? How could you have kept this a secret for so long? And he's like, well, you know, I knew it was important, and so I just did it. And why does my own mother hate me so much? Oh. 
And this is where we find out that really it's all an act. Because she's trying to make him look dumb so the Death Eaters won't want him. She's been playing this game for years and years and years so that Voldemort will just not even look at him twice. He only has like five owls where in fact he actually got 12. Things like that. Mm-hmm. And they find out that Draco and Harry are going to be initiated in December on the night of the solstice. Even though she's been trying really hard to make him look bad in Voldemort's eyes, it doesn't matter because he's the pawn that Voldemort wants. And he's part of the prophecy. They don't know which one, but Voldemort will have both of them. And he asks permission to tell Draco. They stage a little thing where he yells for the entire hall to hear that Lily is his mom and Snipe is his dad so that Lily will call him into her office, and that's where he confronts her about whether he has what his real owl scores were. They have it all out and work it out, and in the end, she says, you know, I'll do whatever I can to help you. In the end, there's a hug. There's a hug, a Hufflepuff hug. What the hell is a Hufflepuff? Uh-huh. Oh, that's I'm just pointing out that there's a lovely hug worthy of Hufflepuffs right there after that (laughs) resolution. And the bell rings, and he goes out, and Draco's there, and he's like, okay, did everything work out? And he beams his best friend, and he says, never better, Draco, never better. But he still has to pay the price, because although he made up with his mom for disrupting lunch, McDonald's given him detention, or not detention, but she's revoked his right to go to Hogsmeade. But that doesn't matter, because he's going to London. Yeah, <laughs> yeah who needs Hogsmeade? Let's go to London. And apparently, we don't know for sure, but it's possible Snape said something to Dumbledore, because he then actually responds to the letter that he'd sent some weeks ago, and sends him the cloak. And says at the end, use this well, which is a nice little parallel with canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked that. So he and Ginny are heading out to London, and she is really nervous because she's never been into a muggle place before. And apparently Hermione looks a little bit less outlandish this time, so it's not so much of a shock for Ginny. And she demonstrates to her the finger-stretching thing, and they sort of sit down together and start talking about all sorts of things. And this is when we discover, which we brought up earlier, that Alicia and Dean and Justin are all sort of famous. Alicia got gold medals in equestrian events. Dean is a great football, a.k.a. soccer player, which makes sense given he's the one with the posters in the dorm. And Justin went to Eaton, which we knew he was down for. We knew that in two, I guess, that came up. And he has apparently made friends with the royal family and is advisor to the princes and things. He's just hobnobbing with royals. Which is kind of fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And so, and they, you know, there's no way to really get a hold of Justin because of the security at Eaton and especially the security around him because of the royal family. And Alicia's out in the country at her parents' horse breeding farm, but you might be able to see Dean. So Harry heads off on the tube, which we know he's not good at, to find Dean. And he has this little deja vu thing because there's Ginny. And he's like, but I left Ginny in the apartment. And he realizes it's not Ginny. It's just somebody that looks an awful lot like Ginny. It's somebody that looks like Ginny's going to look in 10 years. 
And so he forgets all about Dean and he starts following her. Because Harry has never, ever followed anyone around, ever. No, no. He's not a stalker or anything like that. Yes, his stalker tendencies are coming out again. Oh, dear. <laughs> he knocks on the door. Hello. He says, can I talk to you? He's trying to be very non-threatening instead of the teenager from hell. I love this. <laughs> are you, by any chance, adopted? Adopted. <laughs> How's that for a pickup line? Hey guys, tell me, how does this work as a pickup line? Are you uh, adopted? I can Lampus. make it work. I'm sure you can. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is your name Annie or possibly Peggy? Two different names. And she's like, um, Margaret. My name is Margaret. And he has all this information about her, and she's just getting paler and paler. It's understandable. Oh yeah. I love this. And, you know, she's like, my family died in an accident. My entire family died in a car accident. I have had, I've had amnesia and everything like that. And he says, he can't help himself. And he's like, your family didn't die in a car crash. They're all alive and well acquainted with them. You are, she says. And she slams the door in his face. And, and you know, she's like, that's it. I, this guy's just nuts. And he thinks, chapter ends with him thinking, just wait until I tell her she's a witch. Yeah. And there's our cliffhanger for the end of the episode. Dun, dun, dun. I also like the parallel that she thinks her family died in a car crash. Harry in book one thought his parents died in a car crash. His parents <laughs> died in a car crash, yeah. Yep. It's a very convenient plot device. In her case, they haven't died at all, which is a little bit different. So. Oh. And so, we don't know what he's going to do about convincing her he's not just some creepy kid and how they're going to find the other three people, and what is going on with that, and whether they actually make it through to the other, the former dimension, or not. So, in order to find out, you will have to either continue reading the chapters, or read the chapters, and show up again next week. Tune in next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Mm-hmm. Most though. Yes. It'll be the regular yep. cast, plus myself. I will do my best to keep Ryan from monologuing the whole time. Relinquish the reins back to Ryan and the main cast and go back to our one-shots because we're very happy there. But it's fun to yeah. fill in but yes, this was a good episode, and I like these chapters. It's a very interesting idea, and like I think you said, Deathrill, I would like to see more of this universe in something else. Just because see what happens with this because i strongly suspect that eventually in this story he's going to end up getting back to his original universe but i'd still like to see more things that happened in this one and i still like aberforth the uh, landscape this story one of my favorites it's one of the first that i read upon getting into the harry potter fandom this whole trilogy here and this story here this alternate universe provided some of the inspiration for my own fic i have been very glad to cover it on the podcast. Ray, do you want to share with the, the listening yes. audience what your decision was listening to us Babylon? Oh, I'm going to read it. <laughs> Poor Ray's been sitting here this whole time, not having read anything that we're talking about, so we make no sense. Or close to no sense, anyway. Okay. Have another fun. pretty crazy, weird, and interesting. It's a really Yay. fun, really fun pick. It really is. It gets a little long yeah. in some places. And there's lots of different things going on. Yeah, like go, third. Why? All in all, this was a very good fix so far. A little hokey in places, but then so was the first one. But 
generally quite good, and most of the things that were odd and cliché seem cliché now because she did them first. So, yeah, this was fun. I'm going to continue reading the fic now that I don't have to have stopped where this episode stopped. There goes Scott again. It's a good thing we already recorded the ending. You have a story. You have a story. Okay, talk fast because I'm starving. I have a story. I'm oh. sorry. Okay. Um, I went out to bring Dan his lunch, mm-hmm. and I'm driving down the road, and there's these cops coming toward me, so I pull over, you know, like you're supposed to do. They pass me. I'm like getting back up on the road and I almost get hit by this car who's like going like 70 and 40. Then I realized there's cops chasing this car and the two cops that just passed me had turned around and were also chasing. So I witnessed a car chase in this little tiny town in New Mexico. Nice. Fun. Very nice. Kind of fun. It's fun that I didn't get, you know, hit or anything. Yes, that's very good that you didn't get hit. Otherwise, I was like, oh, thank you. Very good. Yeah, good times. So yeah, good times. So this is Beyond Cat for Potterfic Weekly. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I just love this part. The peons are coming. Welcome to Peoncast The Next Generation. I'm Sue. I'm Kayla. And I'm Kelly. And we have Dan. Hufflepuff Dan. Duct taped in the corner. Yay. Hi, Hi Dan. Dan. <laughs> so I'm just going to say, no, I'm Dan. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't bad. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Today you're Australian. Okay. <laughs> Well, it was a combination of Dan and Scott, because Scott is the walking wounded or is ill and isn't here as well. Right. And it's not with us today. He's, he still has the flu. However, I'm also editing this episode, which means that I still get to put in occasional comments. We are covering Antosha's F-Words number three, which is entitled The F-Word. And this can be found on phoenixsong.net. It's the same series we've been covering the last couple of weeks. And this one is the rest of your birthday present. (laughs) We ended last week with an award ceremony. And we're beginning this week with Harry going back to the borough. With Ginny. (laughs) Ginny. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at Dan. Dan, you're not being helpful here. So Harry is on his way to the borough to get the rest of his birthday present. He's not quite sure what that means. Oh, we all know what it means. <laughs> well, he's hoping he knows what it means, but he's not positive he knows what it means. At this point, Daniel apparently had some wonderfully insightful comments about the Weasley family and their relationship to Harry and how Arthur thinks about Harry and all sorts of wonderful things like that. Unfortunately, because he is tied up in the corner... This entire section of the podcast makes absolutely no sense. 
Nearing the end of this section, it seems he made a remark about the positive graffiti on the burrow, reading, Save a cockroach, kick a death eater. I totally had that in my notes. I had it written down. This one's for you, Mike. <laughs> Save a cockroach, <laughs> kick a death eater instead. Oh, poor Mike. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of sad that the borough is defaced, yeah. graffitied, and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And obviously by someone young, because they didn't spell the words very well. <laughs> Blood is spelled B-L-O-D. No, it's because they're all incestuous, all the Death Eaters, that's why. Okay. You know, they don't know how to spell. I want to apologize now to all the Slytherins that are listening to the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Not the Sorry, Slytherins, guys. just, just the, the Death Eaters. Eaters. Just the incestuous Death Eaters. <laughs> there are places where they don't fork. <laughs> they just don't. Then if I were to be taking the example of the Gaunts and Cave Natal and Cain, can I ask when Ian Amicus will be expecting? Crucio! Yeah. <laughs> so the outside of the burrow looks pretty bad, but the inside doesn't look too bad. No. And I really liked that they mentioned the clock. Yeah. Because that's such a Weasley thing. And that it's been on Mortal Peril forever. And, and now, now it's, it's all over traveling, the place. Work, Except visiting, for the one that simply said gone. Fred. Which was really sad. Yeah. Well, do you remember she used to carry it around? She would put oh, it on yeah. her laundry and carry it around. And everything was always pointed at Mortal Peril. But at least that's not gone. Right. So she knew that they were at least still there somewhere. So. Right. Poor Fred. Poor Fred. Poor Fred. I, I miss Fred. Okay, so Ginny is now yelling for Harry, who she's upstairs, and he goes up room. the stairs. The climb that had never felt longer. <laughs> she's wearing the same clothes that she wore for her 17th birthday. That's mm -hmm. so cute. He's like, didn't you have your hair off? And she's like, yeah. not by the time Ron came in. <laughs> it was so cute. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then they start to kiss, and it's just like it never had ended. It's just how it had been for a while. And then he realizes that she's right. not exactly into it as much as he is. Oh, I got a part just before that that I wanted to input. Okay. I like the part where she's like, oh, so did you ever meet up with any of those Vila? And he's like, no, must have missed them. I wasn't looking, and I didn't want to. And I was just like, oh. I'd probably, you probably bounce, bounce, them bounce on them, too. <laughs> hey, you're going to need to stand in line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a visual. <laughs> yeah, I think Ginny'd hurt you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd step aside I then. think the gate would be locked behind the first person in line there, so. <laughs> Welded shut. But no, she's not into it as much as he is. And he realizes this and kind of says, what are you, what's going on? And she's like, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. She's just vibrating. She's so tense. And he's like, okay, let's, let's back up a step. And she's like, no, 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 go ahead. And he's like, I don't think you're really into this. And she's like, no, I am, I am. Go ahead, come on, let's do it. And he's like, you know. Yeah, you're upset. What gave you the clue? <laughs> <laughs> what was your first clue? He says, you're angry. And she just oh. blows up. 
and she is so mad at him, mm-hmm. but she doesn't know how to be mad. It's the only way that she can figure out how to express all of the emotions that she's been feeling. And she's so mad because she wants to be with him and she wants to hit him because he made her think that he was dead and and everything that has gone on and she just falls apart. I don't think it's so much that. I think it's all this stuff that's gone on has been bottled up in her for so long and now it's over and she can take that next step. And she can't figure out how to take that step because she's afraid she's going to fall over. I mean, it's, for lack of a better term, it's a rage at the universe. I am so mad at everything, but I'm so relieved that it's over and I don't know how to express it. It's really difficult. I mean, you just want to pound something into the ground, but you're so happy that it's over. You know, it's, it's a reaction. And that's what happened to her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she's furious with him, and she's mad, and he didn't write, and then she finally gets to see him again, and the first thing he says is to stay out of trouble, and then she's mad at him because he's that. And, you know, just, she's ranting. And then she thought he was dead, and she wanted to die, and, and oh, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm surprised that she was, that the house oh. was still standing when she got finished. I really am. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then she starts crying, and he just kind of holds her. He tries to wipe away her tears, but she swats his hand away. And so he rolls them over so that she's kind of resting on top of him. And he just holds her as she heaves. She's crying so hard that her body's just heaving. And she finally slows down, and she whispers. She's angry with Fred for dying and George for living. Angry with Percy for taking so bloody long. Angry with Charlie for not being here more, with Bill for not taking me to you. You know, she's mad at the world. Understandable. And then he tells her that he almost stopped on the way to Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, there is always a time to be selfish. And I think she was also mad at herself because she thought she was being selfish. She wanted him. She wanted him to be alive. She wanted him to be safe. And I think that was a guilt thing, too, because she knew that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he had to put himself into the situation to get rid of Voldemort, to win the day. But she's still mad. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And then she goes on to ask, um, she's like, what did you mean at the ceremony when you had said that you were never alone? And he replies how when he was about to be killed by Voldemort, um, he knew that it would make him mortal and everything. He said he wasn't thinking about it. All that he was thinking about was Ginny and her eyes and her hair and just everything about her and all his memories and everything. He's like, all I was thinking was about you, about the look you give me sometimes. That's like the sun coming up and then everything's good and you're everything that mattered. And remembering that made it look all okay. (laughs) Dear. Yeah. And I like it where she's talking about it and she's asking about it. And, no, Harry, I didn't make anything okay. I mean, I'm glad you were able to do what needed to be done, though I don't understand exactly why it had to be done, why you had to bloody, but shut up. It's my turn to talk. I know. I love that. So she's not even letting, <laughs> you know, he's trying to explain it. And she goes on a little bit further and, and a little bit further on. She tells him again, no, no, that, don't you say anything. It's still my turn to talk. And he's just laying there. 
And pretty soon he's giggling at her because she's going on this rant and he's just giggling. He's just <laughs> What's so at her. bloody funny, Potter? I'm absolutely serious. Do you hear me? <laughs> yeah, and it was because the first time he was there, before your first year, I never heard your voice. Really. Not until you threatened Malfoy at Flourish and Blots. And Ron said, how weird that was, because normally you never shut up. Ginny, said Ron. You don't know how weird it is for her to be this shy. She never shuts up normally. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. That probably would have pissed me off more if he was laughing. Right. <laughs> yeah, and don't you dare tell me that I'm beautiful when I'm angry, because I will kill you. <laughs> don't make me hex you. Just don't. So, and that really, that breaks the tension. At that point, they're getting a little bit past it. They're starting to get a little giggle. You know, she's threatening him, but she's not threatening him in any serious, no matter how serious she says she is. And he's just, yeah, just laughing at her. And he's not laughing at her. He's just, yeah, (laughs) it's the tension. It's finally washing away. And then that's one way to release the tension is through the laughter. So then she says the one thing that she was the angriest about was after everything was done, he went with Ron and Hermione to the headmistress's office, and all she wanted to do was was to cry and hold him. And he says, your mom needed you. She needed you. And then she says she needed Ron, too. She needed you. I needed you. I thought that was... (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, well, you have me now. And she smiles a bit moistly and says, that's true. True enough. And you always will. Always happy ever after, Ginny. We have the whole future ahead of us. It's ours. I'm yours. And finally, they're to that point and starting that realization starting to really come. That there's actually a next step to take. There isn't an abyss. There is a path. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. <laughs> Yep. He doesn't have a dark wizard and his minions hunting him down, which, you know, when you're 17 years old, that's a good day. <laughs> yeah. There's a song that I kept hearing. I'm trying to remember. Oh, it's Jason Moraz. I'm yours. Oh. And I hear that song because of that line. It's yeah. ours. I'm yours. And it's just like, ah. <laughs> I won't hesitate. Cannot wait. I'm yours. I want yeah. one. <laughs> you what? I want one. You... <laughs> Get in line. <laughs> yep. I'm not saying Harry Potter. I'm just saying any guy that can like that. I want one. <laughs> so he's kind of small right now. <laughs> So then they start kissing again, and it's not frantic, and it's not timid, and the hands begin to move and everything. And just just when Harry's thinking it's going to work again, she stiffens against him, and he stops. And she says, sorry. He said, no problem. We have all the time in the world, the whole future. And she smiled at him with a look of wonder and said, you're using the F word. Oh. And he looks at her, and he blinks, and he's like, the what? You never... You've never talked about the future. At all. Mm Mm-hmm. So, these hopes and dreams, they can come out and play now? (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. (laughs) Come to Mama. So, this was a very cute 
I love you. Very nice, mushy story. <laughs> it was. And nothing happened. <laughs> Not really. Nothing doesn't happen for a few chapters, apparently. And when I got to the chapter where it was supposed to happen, since I wasn't registered, it blocked me. Oh, no. <laughs> so now I have to register because I don't know what's going to happen. I haven't had time. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Are you like, you're reading a fic, and it's like building up, building up, building up, like all the anticipation and everything, and then there's not another chapter, and you're like, no! <laughs> I swear it happens like every time to me. Well, it's the classic, who yeah, shot JR? You know, it's all Dallas's fault. Yeah. This is all Dallas's fault. Because they're the ones that started it. Right. They're the ones that started the season-ending cliffhangers. Because normally with a television series, you wouldn't have a cliffhanger that would go over to the next season. It was all encapsulated within a season. You'd have a resolution, and then you'd have a new storyline or whatever arc start the beginning of the next season. Dallas had Who Shot Jr. And that electrified the world mm -hmm. for an entire summer from, like, April until September. It was, what year was that, yeah, Sue? Was that 78 or 79? Yeah, somewhere in there. And you would have thought world leaders had died. I mean, it was, it was terrible. Yeah. And I was a teenager at that point and remember all that hoo-ha about that. But, oh, my good gracious. So we will continue with the F-Series next week. I don't know which one it is, but it will be the next one in line. And it is called Family. Family. Just recorded that. <laughs> so, this is Beyondcast, the next generation signing off. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.